1: Happy Monday morning, Steve. It's a good-looking shirt you got there. Thank you. You too. Thank you. Is that
0: lavender? This is my lavender twill uh-huh. from Proper Cloth. That's like right. It. There are there are uh, there are guys. Yes, they're they're setting us up with some beautiful shirts. I had to um, I put my sizes in a little bit off the first time. Yeah. See, here's the thing. We got right? it redone though. They they do that for you.
1: Shirts for me are relatively simple because I'm a normal shaped human being, right? Yeah. So I can get relatively you know simple pretty well fit shirts without too much hassle. You, that's not so much the case. It's not. You are a very unusually sized human being with apparently has some weird dimensions as well. Like not just, you're oddly proportioned as well as just being massive. Why do you need to tell everybody? I need to tell you this because proper cloth lets you fix that, right? If you had to just walk into like a regular human's clothes shop and say, I need a shirt, no shot. Right, you're screwed. Whereas proper cloth, you can like get yourself extra room in the pits Which apparently has been a problem for you with shirts for some
0: time. Which I do need.
1: This is what I'm saying.
0: I'm also, I'm not like 2XL this way.
1: Right. I'm "I'm just 2XL this way. So,
0: yeah, the best part about proper cloth is you do get to go in, put in all your sizes, and if it's a little off at first, you send it back, they send you a new one, and that's where I am right now. This fits really well. You
1: can, like, dial in your fit to get it perfect. So this, I mean, the first effort was a little off because apparently you were,
0: you know... I don't know what was the deal. You, I put my weight in higher than I think. I, look, I, I got a little chubby over the summer. Mm. I ate a lot. Okay, and I think I was, a, and then we started playing hoops, and I lost a little bit of weight. So I put in some. I, I put in like questionable some, measurements.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I had to go and readjust. And the shirt was
0: too big, but it was based off my measurements. But when, when we readjusted, we're good. So, yeah, so you dialed it in. Now it looks good. Thank you. I like it, and I like yours too. That's nice. Thank you. It's you the told one me that, that you
1: my you told me that my accent parts were a little midlife crisis no 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 i love the accent part so this is cool you can actually yeah, check like the, the collar side there's a there's like a whole different pattern thing going on here
0: i like that now you have it on the cuff on as the cuff, well yeah. but the way you were wearing it was a little midlife
1: crisis okay just like with the cuff thing rolled up yeah i mean well, you can yeah, get yeah, away with I'm, it sometimes
0: now i'm all rolled up i know you want to show it off but that's a good look too okay so it's all at propercloth.com and if you guys use pff20 that's promo code pff20 20 off your first sh- shirt over at propercloth.com and it's good for someone like me who not only just can't go to a store Mm -hmm. and buy a shirt but a lot of men just don't like going shopping, right? And that's the best part about this. So you just do everything online you put in all your dimensions, they'll send you the shirt, they'll tweak it until it fits and then all your dimensions are saved. Yeah, that's the best all part custom, about this. Customized. Is,
1: that's the best part about this is that, yeah, you, you, there's a back and forth process. You get it absolutely dialed in, and then you just save the thing as like, you know, Steve Freak size one, lock it into your, your thing, and then every shirt you get is going to be a perfect fit. Perfect fit. Right. Steve Freak size one. Uh-huh. Whereas I'm just, you know, regular medium or whatever. Yeah. Now, I, I, still, I still did some tweaking because you I did. got quite long arms relative to my size. Yeah. Not, you know but generally for a a regular sized human i have quite long arms so i can add a little bit of inchage it's clearly not a word but whatever add a little bit of inchage to the arms lengthen them a little bit really dial in yeah. the fit i like it
0: so yeah it's propercloth.com pff20 that promo code gets you $20 off your first shirt you can look as uh, as good as us hmm. okay now that we got that going it's welcome in to the pff nfl podcast it's monday morning we're reviewing Week Six of the NFL, Sam. There was—I uh, don't know—it was just a. It was another weird week, man. New stuff just happens every week, and I love it. It kind of narratives change. Small sample size stuff happens. Things that you expect to happen happen. It's just you know another great week.
1: Yeah, it was fun, and we had a, a an early game, like nine nine or nine thirty a.m. a.m. game. Jameis yeah. had already thrown an interception by the time most people were having breakfast. Oh man, that's uh, that's the beauty of this. By the way, if this sounds a little weird, I have a cold. So I'm fighting through. Why are you in the office? Fighting through the injury report. Because otherwise, who's going to sit here in my chair and give you the podcast metaphors? Can't we? I can't trust that to Austin or Brenner. They can't Renner. phone you in or they something? They can't do. Well, that'll be even worse. Then I'd be. Then it would sound like this through a phone. But
0: we could just put a cutout of you there. Mm-hmm. And just do you have, have one you, of those? We can get one.
1: Okay. Probably not by this morning. Would have taken some foresight, and planning. Yeah, I'm just saying you can't entrust anybody to the kind of metaphors I bring to this podcast. That's a, you know, that's a trustworthy position that not everybody can handle. So anyway, that's, that's why I it's understand. sounding a little weird, I a little understand. nasally. Well, but let's, yeah, let's, let's Jameis Jameis played in London, and it turns out that playing in England doesn't make him any better.
0: Five picks, a classic Jameis game. Four hundred yards, five picks. Yeah. So the thing about Jameis is when he's completing passes, it's all the. It's all the downfield stuff. Not downfield. It's not like deep balls all the time. It's just like you're 10 to 15 yard out. And he's always creating those chunk plays. But he still just has a million bad decisions. He had six turnover-worthy plays total. Yeah. In this one. That's quite a lot. Kyle Allen played a much cleaner game. So the Kyle Allen narrative is an, is, is the, an, inter- an interesting one. Because in a vacuum, you're just like, okay, he's 5-0 and in his career. And 4-0 and this year. When they started 0-2 yeah. with a banged-up Cam Newton... But in those four games, Kyle Allen's had two good ones and two bad ones. You know, they've won twelve to ten in there, they've won in games despite him. So this was one of his good games. He did do a, a really nice job against the Bucks. He did. Um he looked
1: good and to the point where people are now asking the question, Cam Newton or Kyle Allen when he comes back. Yeah. Um, and honestly, so again, it's kinda like the the Minshew thing, right? It's it's probably not a fair question in isolation, but I think what it does is change the way you treat cam newton coming back like now we're not rushing him back now we're saying okay right. cam take your time maybe you might need an extra week or so of rehab you know make sure that thing's really 100 percent. not yeah i could go this week they've now got the opportunity to basically treat cam newton with kit gloves and really get him 100 percent before they bring him back and honestly i mean i've said this before he may need to take like a full year off like shut him down right say don't even think about 2019 plot August twenty twenty is your comeback date and do whatever needs to be done to get a hundred percent by then because Allen looks legit. He was dropping in some insane passes. His best pass of the day was this beautiful sideline um dime to Jarius Wright, who then dropped it on the sideline, but put it like hit the hole in the zone, dropped it just over the cornerback, safety didn't get over there. I think it was, you know, that sort of deep cover two shot. Um I and those Jerry's Wright dropped it, so it didn't count.
0: But that was like the best pass he had all day. You know, made a couple of iffy plays, but other than that, looked really good. I think the big question with the whole Kyle Allen-Cam Newton debate goes back to how are you going to use Cam when he comes back. We've said for a while, to maximize his value, you kind of have to use him as a runner. It's kind of like, we're going to talk about Patrick Mahomes in a bit and some of his struggles. It's like, if you, have, if you have to completely change the way Patrick Mahomes is going to play or Cam Newton's going to play, or Russell Wilson's going to play, or Josh Allen. I mean, there's a whole bunch of quarterbacks. Aaron Rodgers. If you're going to change the way certain guys are going to play, guys who are either mobile, they create plays out of the pocket, or they're used in the design run game. If you're going to change that, do you trust them if you take away that part of their skill set? And right. I think that's the fair question with Cam Newton. Do you trust him running the offense Exactly the way Kyle Allen's running it, and I think overall throw for throw, he's probably better than Kyle Allen. But man, we've got a lot of evidence mounting.
1: So I don't know. Yeah, trust is an interesting word for that. I would simply ask: Is he good
0: enough doing that to make it worth doing? But we—it's a fair question. But we don't know if Kyle Allen's still even sure. good
1: enough. Again, we've said for you know weeks, it's all small sample size stuff, right? All of it. You know, Kyle Allen—we're still only what five games into his career. So we're still dealing with tiny sample sizes. Right. You know, Baker Mayfield after eight games looked like a superstar. Another eight, he looks like crap. Um, so we don't know anything yet, right? But Kyle Allen is starting to look really good, and at least is starting to raise those questions. Um, on, I made a lot of Panthers fans angry last week by suggesting that McCaffrey wasn't the MVP. Um, <laughs> and as much as you know, there was that one highlight real play. You for that? Oh, really? Big mad. Really big mad. Huh. Uh, because a lot of people were saying, without Christian McCaffrey, this team would be 0 5. Because, you know, Cam Newton's gone down. McCaffrey's got a million yards, so he's the reason they're winning. It's like, no, the reason you're winning is because you got rid of a quarterback that was playing like crap because he was hurt and replaced him with a quarterback that's actually playing really well. Consequently, your offense is better. And McCaffrey has been the chief beneficiary. Benef- beneficiary nice job. Thank you. Of that. Um, and it's interesting in this game, the highlight reel came out of it where he catches the ball makes one cut and three Buccaneers defenders basically fall over. Waltzes into the end zone, looks like a superstar. But on, what, 20, that was 26 touches, that was, he got 57
0: yards. That was 25 out of his 26 receiving yards Yes, on that particular play, which was awesome. And then rushing yards, 22 carries, 31 yards. Yeah,
1: I mean... So look, McCaffrey, my point always was that McCaffrey is fantastic. And by the way, there might not be anybody in terms of being a Panthers fan who was on the Christian McCaffrey bandwagon before I was, doing all those Stanford games. Um, So McCaffrey is freaking awesome. The whole point was running backs, if you actually use value appropriately in today's NFL, running backs will simply never get it because they're not the most valuable players. In fact, they're some of the least valuable players. And it's unfortunate because some of these guys are incredibly talented, like Christian McCaffrey.
0: They were showing Sam Darnold's return yesterday. How? Look, I think... Mono. I, I don't think you can... <laughs> Stop making jokes. I don't think you can always just look at the quarterback and say, well, look what his backups did. This is how valu- valuable the starter is. Right. How valuable the start. If you're doing that, it's, it's completely dependent on how bad the backups are. Mm-hmm. Luke Falk was terrible.
1: but Became the first quarterback since Jeff George to start a game and then get cut the following week.
0: Oh, wow. And here we were comparing Josh Allen to Jeff George. Right. Apparently, we just, we just had the wrong guy. Luke Falk. Nothing like Jeff George no, as abso- a player. Absolutely nothing like Other than like, that start. But was the first stat. guy
1: to start a game and then get cut the following week. And you know what the funny thing about that is? I think they're right. Yeah. You know, like he was bad enough
0: that you're like, no, I've seen enough. And you, oh, yeah. I, I completely agree. You have no future in this league. So my point is Sam Darnold... With, uh, with Sam Darnold, the Jets are averaging like 10 points higher than when a non Sam Darnold quarterback starts. And that includes uh, Luke Falk and includes Trevor Simeon, uh, includes Josh McCown last year as well. So it, you just don't see that with a running back. There's no, there's, you're never going to find a split that's like with Zeke, the Cowboys are scoring 10 points more. With McCaffrey, they're scoring ten points. You know, it's, you're just never going to find that with a running back other and than like are, coincidence.
1: Right. If you are, there's something else driving it.
0: Right. Or, you know, it's like when you know there's another quarterback in there too. Right. I mean, there's other stuff uh, driving it. So yeah, that's that's the whole point of McCaffrey. So yeah, the Panthers. How legit are the Panthers, Sam? The other thing
1: to come out of this game, I don't know yet. The other thing to come out of this game. Thanks for game, answering my question. I, thanks. I I thought about just rolling right over it and ignoring you, but I figured no. I I he asked a question. He deserves an answer. I'll give him a short one, which is I don't know, and then move <laughs> on to what I wanted to talk about. Um, I was really happy to see Gerald McCoy have a big game because, I, look, I, yeah. I don't think the Bucks were inherently wrong to say, you know what, he's not the player he used to be. We can move on. Um, but I can see that on a personal level, he would feel pretty massively screwed by that. It's like I have been the only source of anything useful on this defensive line basically for my entire career. You guys have been completely unable to put anybody of talent around me, and now you think I'm the problem. Like, it, I can see definitely why he would feel hosed by that. Comes into this game, three sacks, a couple more pressures, good grade, like basically spends the entire time looking at the Buck sideline after he sacks people like, huh? Huh?
0: Why did they think he was the problem? I when, don't think they, When has he ever been the problem?
1: I don't think they thought he was the problem, but I think they thought, you know what, we can get cheaper and get the same level of production. Yeah. You're no longer worth what you're being paid, which, as I say, I don't know was inherently wrong. It's just that coming off the back of like 10 years of not being able to help the guy out feels a little harsh.
0: Yeah. I mean, look, I, I keep coming back to Carolina. I really like their defensive front. You've got McCoy had the three sacks yesterday. Uh, Tari Poe, Vernon Butler actually had, you know, he had a couple sacks in there by our numbers. Uh, and then you look at what Mario Addison and Brian Burns are able to do off the edge. It is this this front... Well, it's not front... Se- I mean, it is the front seven when you include Keekley and Thompson, but it's that front five, essentially, the edge rushers and the interior D-line that I, I think they've just needed for a while to, to start playing better, to get younger. And they've got veterans like McCoy and then the youngsters like Brian Burns all coming together. I think that's a huge a huge part of Carolina's success. Mike Evans
1: had one of the weirder games you're ever going to see as well. Um, 17 targets in this game. Nine catches. So already that's not an amazing ratio. Gets, what, 96 yards. But three interceptions were thrown Throne in the direction way. of Mike Evans. Plus, there were a couple of plays where he just randomly, st- like he dropped a, what, probably would have been a touchdown, right? The one down the left would he yeah. have made it in. Um certainly would have, was an absolute bomb that he dropped. Had a couple of plays where he kind of weirdly throttled down mid-run. Now, the second one, I kind of get it because, he, you know, when you, you're going deep and you make that initial burst and then the cornerback is still two yards ahead of you, there's not really much point in continuing to run, you know what I mean? Because the ball should not be going there. Right Now, with Jameis, it's like, no, YOLO, it's coming here anyway. So, like, Evans throttles down, looks up, he's like, oh, wow, he actually threw that. Crap. Has to start running Rolling again. To clear eyes. Right, picked up, but the first one was kind of weird. Um, I don't know if he just didn't expect it coming or whatever. But the same kind of deal had to throttle up again and then ball straight through his hands. But like, just James Bradbury had 14 targets while covering Mike Evans in this game.
0: Yeah, we uh, talked we talked on the on the preview podcast about Jameis going up against a zone heavy team like Carolina. Usually, zone heavy teams will pick off more passes. Four turnover worthy plays on 49 attempts against uh, your basic zone shells, cover two, three, quarters, and six.
1: For some reason, NFL Network keep talking about this. So this is in Spurs' new stadium, Tottenham Hotspur. Oh, yeah, of course. Um, That's uh, K's
0: team, is that right?
1: Yeah, which they've kind of built as part of this whole we get the NFL gig, you know, it's a multi-purpose stadium. It's supposedly phenomenal. I haven't been there, obviously, because I now live here. Um, But it's it's supposedly an an amazing stadium. Uh, But they kept talking about... Had the NFL had helped them refurbish Spurs Stadium, it's like it's a whole new building. They haven't refurbished anything. They built a new stadium from the ground up and moved into it. it didn't like no refurbishment <laughs> took place. Um, I just felt I, that was you kind of strange. Get, I just had to complain about that. Just get the truth. Yeah, I'm shocked you found something to complain about. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm sick. That'll uh, that'll really heighten the level
0: of complaint. Going so the, on. Pa- the so the Panthers win again. Yes. They on, did. On to 4-2, 4-0 and, two, four and o with Kyle Allen at the helm. We didn't touch it all on Thursday Night Football. Did you, anything? Any thoughts on the Giants-Patriots Thursday night game? Uh, all of my thoughts came out
1: during the game, which were that... <laughs> so people kind of misread my tweet. Um, my initial tweet was, can you imagine being the guy that tweeted trash-talking everyone after game one that Daniel Jones is like amazing? Like, everyone that said he was bad is an idiot. Look at him. He's a superstar. He's a Hall of Famer. He's great. He's our quarterback of the future. I was like, that dude has been on an emotional roller coaster ride since that <laughs> right. tweet. Um, and when I, I actually, I think I used the term, that dude is in crisis right now. And people thought I was talking about Daniel Jones. And then, like, Daniel Jones drops a dime for a touchdown. And everyone's like, ah, see, this age well. You need to stop. Well, then, then he, had, like, A, it. then he threw, like, a bunch more passes right to defenders. So even within that yeah. game. It wasn't a gotcha moment. We even
0: said Thursday, for, as people that... That are, game went,
1: as we said, right? Which is, yes. he was going to struggle, and it doesn't tell you anything about Daniel Jones, because yes. it's the Patriots.
0: Even have, as people that want to temper all of the Daniel Jones right. expectations, he didn't have a great game, let's just move on. Because yeah.
1: Having said time. that, the one thing I would say is, all, there were a bunch of people who like, well, well, it's the Patriots. Sure, it is, and they're really good, and that defense is fantastic. Having said that it being they don't have shape-shifting abilities like it being the Patriots doesn't forgive there's a guy with outside leverage the whole way I'm going to throw it outside into right. him
0: or I'm going to misread cover to right, to throw like, it right to Stephon at some point yeah.
1: at some point what you saw was pretty basic and you threw the ball there anyway like it being the Patriots you know they didn't warp into that spot of the field where they weren't there in, in the first
0: place and pick the ball off you just threw it right to a defender so the Patriots defense Ridiculous again. The story in New England is the panic uh, for the offense. They ended up losing. Is Tom Brady declining? <laughs> yeah. Second half, they uh, J- uh, Jacob J- uh, Johnson lost their fullback. They lost a tight end. J- they lost Josh Gordon. They ran the same personnel package the entire second half, which included two undrafted free agents, Gunnar Olszewski and Jacoby <laughs> Myers. The picture of him is amazing, didn't you think? Oh, yeah. That was great. Just looks like an NFL player. So they went. Olszewski, Jacoby Myers, and Julian Edelman out there for the entire second half, along with a running back and one tight end, and you know what a roller coaster ride when you look at the Patriots playmakers coming into the season. It's like who's who's Tom going to throw to, and then it's like oh now they've got Josh Gordon and now they have Antonio Brown, and then Antonio Brown's gone now Josh Gordon's hurt and now it's like all right, Patriots fans are just begging for the Patriots to uh, trade for somebody. So it's just an interesting roller coaster of emotions. In New England, they still win thirty-five to fourteen over the Giants. All of the
1: all of the sort of viable trade candidates in terms of wide receiver should definitely be in play for them. Yeah, like I would. Think the Emmanuel so. Sanders to Green Bay thing that you love that makes a lot of sense it for the makes, Patriots right. as well, and they pursued him. Stephon Diggs as agent. well makes a ton of sense, even though I don't think he just leaving, had a, Well, I was say even though he just had a big game, they might have actually placated him. Right, but still, that I mean he's very similar stylistically to an Antonio Brown who obviously they wanted yeah, because right. they signed the guy. They
0: clearly saw like a need for that type of Can I receiver. ask how is New England's schedule so easy? It's very easy then there's a 5 or 6 game stretch that's a lot different. But yeah, it's fascinating how uh Isn't the whole thing designed so
1: that, you know, the played, top teams get harder
0: schedules? They do. They are. But I mean, they, you know, you play the division, so they're going to play the Ravens and the Chiefs, the two AFC division winners from last year, at some point, point. and then they play the NFC East, so they still have the Cowboys and Eagles, and it's like all in a little stretch. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you can really only manipulate the the only part that makes the schedule more difficult, because you, the everybody within the division plays the same exact schedule outside of two games, and the only two games are the division leader, the winner from last year, plays the other two division winners in their conference and then and then you always play the same. So as far as the so the, NF, so the AFC East, New England, Miami, Buffalo, and the Jets will all play the AFC North. But then the difference in the schedule is the Patriots will play the division winner from the AFC South and the AFC West. That's the Chiefs and the Texans. those are the two first place games that they'll play and then the second place teams play the second place teams, the third place third, fourth place fourth. So you're really only manipulating the schedule. By two games to kind of change things. That's Fair it. enough. All right, let's move on. Seattle Seahawks at the Cleveland Browns, a little back and forth game. And uh man, Browns looked like they had a shot here. I mean they did. They
1: were they, what twenty to six up? Yeah. And then didn't score for twenty five consecutive points. Was more that than, it? more or than half a shot. Than? Like they Yeah, they probably should have won. Yeah. Um Mayfield got hurt. It was difficult to see exactly what happened to him, but he looked real banged up and he did the very something end. to his hip and to the point where like there was one play a simple RPO quick pass and like in the course of passing went immediately into a sort of fetal position crouch in pain. Yeah. That's not good. Um, got taken I think to the locker room or the sideline right. quickly looked at came back on but like clearly the guy was not close to being 100%. Um and that was like, that had to have been a pretty
0: significant part of that game. It's it's tough because we were such uh, Advocates for Baker coming out, and it's tough to just have a nice, nuanced conversation. You can't do nuance about Baker Mayfield right now. Is he playing well overall? No. Should he have 800 picks like he does? No. And so, two of the picks yesterday on inaccurate throws, but ones that still probably should have been like the the game ender was a little bit behind on a on a short end that he should never. You shouldn't leave it that far behind. But much like the pass on Monday Night Football last week, like it gets caught eighty percent of the time.
1: Yeah, and they were like Odell Beckham dropped a couple that you would anticipate him making. You know, for a guy that's able to just walk around like pregame snagging one-handers, like it's nothing.
0: There was one here
1: should not be a problem to catch, but
0: the timing was off on that one. Sure, but again, uh, it's like
1: something off with this offense. It is, but so that was not a well thrown ball, and that it was behind here as the guy's going out. But. If you're Odell Beckham, like what's the point in being Odell Beckham unless you catch that pass? Those are the ones you need to catch. Yes, oh, for sure. it's not ideal, but that's why that's why you're worth the money versus a guy that's just another receiver, right. right? If the quarterback could put it perfectly on you every single time, there wouldn't we there would be no purpose in paying you big money. The reason we're paying you big money is that when the quarterback is half a yard off, you fix it and it's not a problem. So these plays Odell Beckham is yet to start fixing, and that's part of the issue. The other thing is that this offense strikes me. Um, so I was stuck a lot yesterday watching like one game endlessly because my red zone crapped out. Um, so I'm here watching this game for the most part, and it struck me how incredibly predictable the play calling was for this offense, the Browns offense. When So they had a lot of key situations where it's fourth down or it's third and short, it's in the shadow of the goal line, And basically, you could tell what they were going to do by how they lined up, which is not great. Not great. Right? No. Most of the best offenses, the idea is we'll we'll line up. If we line up in a specific formation that looks unusual, we're going to do the thing that you don't think we're going to do from this formation. Whereas the Browns are like, no, we're going to show you what we're going to do, and then we're going to do exactly that. And I mean, it's possible to do that, but you need to execute ridiculously well if that's going to happen. And they're not. So one of two things needs to happen. Either they need to figure out how to execute all these things really well in the next couple of weeks. Or they need to start changing it up where it's, no, we're going to show you something and we're going to do something else. So, you know, if you're going to get to the goal line, you're going to run this weird bunch formation where there's four guys. Probably don't throw the screen to the guy at the back of that when they load up right to cover it. Ugly. Maybe run a draw or a quarterback you know, either a a running back draw or a quarterback draw because suddenly you've vacated the box. Everybody's now over the bunch. But instead you're like, no, we're going to throw it to the bunch. Like, if if I know what's going to happen based off what you're lining up, you know the defense thinks that as well. And when they match it from a personnel standpoint, like they've moved people over to cover that, that's when you've created space elsewhere. Right. The Browns are just running the
0: thing they wanted to run from the get-go and it's going badly. As, as we're always trying to do is just you know isolate the quarterback's performance from what's happening around him remember last year the whole narrative was hey they fired Hugh look at Baker's stats they're through the roof they're unbelievable and we went back and we said well look at the PFF grade it's actually almost identical with Hugh and without Hugh the difference in the stats was in the play calling and plays like Baker under throws a pass and Nick Chubb turns it into a touchdown form that happened you know late last year in one game, so we we were like, "Hey, look, Baker played well the whole year, consistently well, but his stats went from not so good to really good." Now you've got him playing worse, and you're also not getting that scheme help. What we would consider the scheme help—it's essentially when we give when quarterbacks have easy throws, um, they turn into bigger plays. I mean, that's what the best schemes do, right? Whether it's through the screen game, whether it's through creating open receivers, whether it's just par- partially—it's the receivers creating after the catch, whatever it is. So that's this Browns offense right now. The quarterback's not playing nearly as well as we expected him to. Everyone around him, you've got miscommunications. You've got all this other stuff going on. You don't have the schemed-up plays. So that's why, overall, they're a mess. But they still were in position to win this game, and they still scored a lot of points. Yeah,
1: The good. so the good. After news, all that. the good news for the Browns is that I don't think... I'm not sure that any of their problems are terminal, or at least long-term, unfixable. So... The defense, I still st- still think, is not playing particularly well. But, A, they're without their two starting cornerbacks right now, which is going to be a problem. Yes. Um, and, B, like a lot of their issues, I think, are a sort of new. They're a lack of execution issues, right? The sort of thing that should improve just by the unit playing together over a longer period of time. So let's assume the defense gets slightly better over the, the long haul. On offense, you've got a multitude of things all coming together to basically – magnify the single biggest issue so one odell beckham should not be dropping those kind of passes right he's there to catch those we've seen him catch those in the past i don't see there's any reason why he will permanently continue to drop those passes so let's assume he starts to make a few of those plays i mean that in this difference might or that in this game might be the difference just odell beckham catching a couple of those passes two um, like, the offensive line is bad, but it's it's not catastrophic. You can hide some of this stuff. They've already started, I think, to speed up Baker's delivery
0: overall. Um, yeah, they protected them a little bit. that protected them yesterday. Right. If
1: they more. can just figure out that, look, from a tendency point of view, we're too obvious right now. We need to start using a little bit of deception with what we're doing, not run the thing that we're obviously going to run from how we line up. That's huge. Just... That layer of deception so the defense doesn't immediately know exactly what you're running would be a huge part of that. And when you do that, Baker Mayfield probably starts to play better because suddenly things are in a rhythm and he's not, you know, he's not running up there about to call a play that he knows is curtains before he even snaps the ball. Um, So I think this brand's team long term should be better than it's playing right now. But the question is, how long is it going to take them to work all that stuff out?
0: On the other side, Russell Wilson is getting all the MVP hype. I think I think he'd be the guy right now. I think he's, uh, but, you know, he's gonna he's our highest graded quarterback and doing it with you know, well, yesterday George Fant's getting destroyed at left tackle, so uh, nothing helps the MVP case like uh, the O line not being great. And the O line as a whole wasn't bad. It was you know George Fant wasn't oh. wasn't very good. Miles Garrett and Olivier Vernon both had monster games. Russell Wilson still just continues to make. Yeah, you know, he missed he missed a couple throws here and there, but beautiful touchdown pass. We got to kill that. What is that's that? A, I think that's a stink bug. Hmm. You actually don't want that. Um, nope, nope, nope. You don't want it flying free. Well, that's
1: over Ethan, so we're good. Um, um, Russell Wilson also, apparently, his communications went off in his headset, like he died, the radio. Just, and he ran the drive. And he just started running. He just started calling his own plays waltzed up for a touchdown maybe they should do that more
0: just let russell wilson run the offense it's a basic play calls he had a bootleg in there he had a little little uh curl flat stuff in there russell knows how to run an offense he does
1: so maybe maybe that should be the plan let russell call he's running
0: play actions off of the runs that he called he was setting things up too i like it he did a really nice job so you like wilson for mvp at this point uh yeah i I mean i yeah oh you don't like mvp discussions at all i don't no sorry um, Sorry to bring it up. Mm-hmm. So yeah, Wilson. You know, another. It was a pretty clean game for him. He is not. Here's the thing with Wilson. He's 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 still creating the same big plays, most big time throws in the league so far this year. I think it's only two turnover worthy plays so far. I mean, he is just yeah. not putting the ball in harm's way. He's completing passes at a high rate. It's it's one of those things where we used to say there are. He he's. I don't think he's ever been a top three quarterback in the NFL in any given season. Mm-hmm. There's been ga- years he's been in the top five, and almost every year he lands in the top eight, right? Yeah. But then there's we always say that there's games where he looks like the best quarterback in the NFL. Yeah. He's just strung a few more of those together. Like He is in this stretch of looking like the best quarterback in the NFL so far this season. Um, stuff that he had flashed in the past, and, and now he's just doing had, more consistently. Hasn't had the stinking game yet.
1: Like Usually a Russell Wilson right. season comes with one or two games where it's just a mess, right. and those are the games that make... A, Seattle think that he can't handle this you know, high-volume passing offense, and B, everyone else think he's not actually as good as he is. Yeah. So are we going to go through a whole season without one of those, or are we due? Like, are we due the game that makes it everybody go,
0: ah, see, Russell Wilson's not actually that good. As difficult as the 49ers are making life on that people. could be it. Could be those, those games. Um, by the way, uh, DK Metcalf is a mismatch issue. I yeah. mean, he is his speed on – Underneath stuff, his speed down the field. He for he did have a drop, but he had uh, two missed tackles, and he had what we think was the game clinching reception. The Browns didn't have a challenge. He may have dropped it out of bounds; it may have been knocked free, but he counted as a
1: catch. Yeah, he'll also particularly be a mismatch problem for Terrence Mitchell, T.J. Carey, and Eric Murray, as yeah. opposed to you know Denzel Ward. That is a factor for the Browns here. Um, by the way, can I say that I love so uh, D.K. Metcalf? You know the mouthpiece, the sort of full face thing that most yeah. that a lot of them use these days his is done like a pacifier like a baby's soother thing oh yeah yeah, yeah. like mm-hmm. it looks like a looks
0: like a baby's pacifier soother dummy whatever you want to call him this is why you're this is why you can't stay home sick i like i like you that just, i think that was good you add a lot to the uh to the equation that's here. what i'm saying you wouldn't get that for most people you certainly wouldn't all right houston texans at the kansas city chiefs is a panic time in kansas city second straight home loss yeah
1: i don't think it's panic time um I mean, the Texans are quite quite good, and they have a quarterback that's capable of playing quite well.
0: All right, let's start by giving credit to the Houston Texans. Sure. They win 31-24, to 24, and they just um, moved the ball a lot. It, it was one of those things at the end, I, they just didn't give Mahomes a shot. And right. I love that they went for it on fourth down mm-hmm. to clinch it. They had the decision between, I think it was a long field goal to go up by two scores, or... It, you have know, to go up ten essentially, or you've got one play to win the game, and they ran the one play. Watson on Watson to nuke, and and they get it. So as as much as going up ten gives you a really high percentage of winning, nothing gives you a higher percentage of winning than than. I know, think converting that, on fourth down. Yeah,
1: I think that notion has really. Oh, I think it's broken through at this point in the NFL. Oh, I like think it so too. used to be the point where. Anybody making the call to win it in one play was basically deemed a maverick. Like, so that, was, so that was too
0: crazy. The 09 Belichick decision, just right. go back to that, it was fourth and two on their own 35 or so. And even the narrative then was like, Bill Belichick just doesn't trust his defense and he's mm-hmm. afraid of Peyton Manning. Right. He's doing this because he knows if he doesn't get it, Peyton's just going to drive down the field and they're going to lose. And people – I feel like that's just been, like, the viewpoint in football. If this doesn't work, what's the worst-case scenario? When the proper way of looking at it is, like, I've got one play to win this game. If I get it, we – it's it. We're done. They're both factors,
1: right? It's A, it's generally right now offense is more – is better than defense league-wide, right? So, A, I have a better chance of winning in one play trusting my offense. And B, if I do give them the ball, sure – my defense is probably not going to hold up because most don't. Um, but these are all like factors that weigh into it. But I think generally now, league-wide, that notion has broken through that it, I'm never going to get a better chance to win this game than one play with my offense.
0: Yeah, it, it, but it's also like it's the, win, it's the win, winning percentage that you have executing the play. And then if you fail, you still have a chance right. to win.
1: But even now, even, even um, at the end of the game, you, know, you you're down by a touchdown, you score, and now it's do I kick and go to overtime, or do I take the two point shot to win the game? You are now seeing way more people go for the two point conversion to win the game. Right. Before, nobody even thought about it. It was we why you even think it's not a question. We kick the point, we go to overtime. Um, like that was just the thought process. The the idea that somebody would actually go for the win on that two point play barely even occurred to people. It was right. just that that would be lunacy. Whereas now, it's not. We're never going to get a better shot of winning this game than the two-point play right here. One play from the two-yard
0: line with my offense. This is what we want. So Deshaun Watson made some big throws in this one. You know He didn't play a perfect game either, but you know overall, he was solid, did a lot with his legs, a couple touchdowns on the ground, and it comes back to what we said a couple weeks ago. He had that bad game against Carolina, and then last week bounced back with just a dominant game against Atlanta, And he's yeah, I asked you last week, does he have some of that it? Superstar, game on the line, backs against the wall, you're doubting me after my worst game, I'm gonna bounce he's just got a lot of that stuff and then in crunch time he made a ton of plays. He
1: did. And then a huge swing in this game also was the arm punt towards the end of the first half. It really was. Slings it down there, defensive back should have just knocked it down. Instead catches it in the end zone. Turns What would have been them getting the ball in the 40 yard line to them getting the ball in the 20 yard line. Yes. Next play, right? They fumble it and the Texans
0: get the ball back. They, I think, uh, was it Thornhill that picked it off? I think he just read my article and he wanted Deshaun Watson's passer rating to look more realistic. Huh. Drop it a little bit. That's yeah. what he wanted. Watson's down to 107.9. By the way, your boy Kirk Cousins now up to third in the league in passer rating. God. And he's throwing the ball much better now. 108.5, Sam. Look at that told you cousins anyway so Watson made a ton of plays now let's talk Patrick Mahomes now look we said this Texans defense you talked about who the Browns are trotting out there the Texans trotted out Philip Gaines rookie Lonnie Johnson and then Bradley Bradley uh, Roby was banged up only at 40 snaps right 40 snaps for him Mm -hmm. so it's mostly Lonnie Johnson and Philip Gaines back there Tayshawn Gibson Justin Reed at safety not too bad and, you know, so that, and this is the second straight week now. The Chiefs at home going up against a banged up no name secondary, essentially, or names that are uh, not good, we'll say. Th- there yeah. are names. We know who the names are, but they're not good. Right. Uh, or Lonnie Johnson's unproven. So this is one of those games on paper. It's like, well, you can't stop the Chiefs. They got Tyreek Hill back, even if it's an limited sample and all this stuff. What a crazy play that was, by the way. His touchdown? Yeah. Man, I, Spent a lot of time trying to explain that to people on Twitter, how we how we handle that play. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Huh. It's, a, it's not a good throw by the quarterback. It's a good decision on a free play. Yes. Yes, it's a free play. But the... Okay, we'll talk about it in a second. Anyway, <laughs> Patrick Mahomes, this was his worst game of his career. Passing grade in the 40s. He had no big-time throws. That's right. The Tyreek Hill touchdown was not a big-time throw. It was a jump ball into double coverage where Tyreek did all the work, even though it was on a free play. Good decision by Patrick Mahomes. The result is lucky. That it turned into a forty-six yard touchdown. One of his other touchdowns was on a screen. He threw one actual interception; should have easily thrown two more. And then he did have that fumble where he just hitched an extra time in the pocket, got the strip sack, and that was, as you mentioned, one of the one of the game changers. The good four news, four turnover worthy
1: plays for Mahomes. The good news, at least, is that even like the basic stats don't look great. You know, like completion rate of fifty-four only. Two hundred and seventy three yards for a game. Well, he, had, he, he still had the touchdown. I mean, sure. No, I touchdowns. mean they're not like like the passer rating was still ninety six point five, right? But there are numbers in there that make you look at it and say, okay, this wasn't a typical Patrick Mahomes game. Right. At least
0: it was more challenging. At least we're not
1: combating the concept that, you know, he completed seventy five percent of his passes right. through for three fifty and had a one twenty five passer rating. Like at least there's some numbers in there that make you go, all right, the fine, that wasn't the best right. Mahomes game in the world.
0: And the numbers look good because he's got three touchdowns. Um Again, a jump ball, a screen, and then you know one where he kind of created some room in the pocket, and that was a nice one. But to a wide open Tyree Kill. Um, here's the number I pulled out on his 36 dropbacks, 35 attempts, only eight were outside the pocket. So this points me back, and one of which was the wide open touchdown to Tyree Kill. The second one. So how much is this ankle truly an issue for Patrick Mahomes?
1: I think it's significant, but it's 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 being made look worse by the idea that the offensive line is struggling as well right now with fisher down cam irving is at left tackle that is a problem um
0: he had a few good weeks early on he fooled us for a little bit yeah but that was never going to last indy was a disaster so now like half
1: of your offensive line is an issue right now um mitchell schwartz did a really good job of right tackle against jj watt um one of the toughest opponents he's going to face but the left side is an issue for and now the guy can't really escape the pressure the way he used to um so yeah, it's being it's it's not helping.
0: It's definitely part of this that's that's exaggerating all the issues. So yeah, Mahomes. So it was his worst game as a pro. Um, we were talking a little bit in our uh, QB grading chat. John Costco over here at PFF. I'm actually going to quote him. Okay, believe it or not, quote Costco. He's saying Mahomes looks a little bit like he was in college. Now, this Uh-oh. isn't to say Uh-oh. that the ankle isn't partially to blame here but one of the biggest so one of the biggest um things i I said about mahomes to actually give him credit for last year i was like forget the spectacular plays he just didn't miss throws like he was number two in avoiding negatively graded throws last year this year not even close and but he still has all the big time throws right they're all Mm -hmm. even though he didn't have any yesterday so but now we're talking about throwing the ball putting the ball in harm's way a little bit more which he cut back on a lot last year and missing a few throws. I mean, that's why like he graded well for us, but going into his senior year, he wasn't it wasn't like he was dominating the college grading because he was just so all over the place on a throw for throw basis. So there's a little bit of that boomer bust to Mahomes game right now where the spectacular plays are there. Some of the easy stuff he's missing, or easier stuff he's missing, and he's also putting the ball in harm's way a little bit too much. We were on here explaining his three week grade why he had all those fumbles now has i think it's five fumbles that are essentially his fault it's not like ah you know he could have you know he's got no shot here four or five fumbles that are completely on him this year he got away with some early in the year but yesterday he didn't right and so there yeah. was a little bit of foreshadowing there like he's been playing with a little bit of fire more than expected can we also
1: say that frank clark is quickly becoming one of the biggest sort of non-draft busts in terms of acquisition of any team for a while. Yeah. Now, obviously, still small sample sizes, caveat, everything. But we're, what, six weeks into this, and the guy has not been good at all. In fact, he's been bad. Um, and there was a play yesterday. So, again, no sacks. We had five total pressures, but they weren't necessarily decisive, critical pressure for the most part. Um, but there was a play, Deshaun Watson, for rushing touchdown, where it, Watson just ran him over. Like, dude, you are you are supposed to be an aggressive, run-defending, strong, physical, defensive end, and you let a quarterback run over you into the end zone. Like, he, it wasn't like he got juked out of his skin, which I would have okay. some sympathy for. Like, Watson put his foot in the ground and ran right up at, at him, and Clark hit him solidly and was not able to stop that short of the end zone. Like, that basically just encapsulates his entire season so far, which is you are not bringing anything to the table right now. And now that Chris Jones is man down, like not bringing he was their one source of pressure last year pretty much even with d ford there um now d ford's gone frank clark is supposed to be the new improved d ford and he's bringing nothing chris jones is the only guy bringing anything to that defensive front and chris jones isn't there right now consequently right now your defensive front is doing nothing it's allowing nothing carlos hyde is running all over you deshaun watson is running through you into the end zone like the defense is as bad as it was last year in terms of throwing Mahomes under the bus, only right now with a bum ankle, he's not able to overcome it. It feels different from last year, though, too. It is you know, different. It's a right? different style, but it's the same effect, yeah. right? It's, right. You're like, you're, for this, for in a different way, you are achieving exactly the same thing as last year, which is you are playing badly enough to
0: undermine a great offense. Yeah. And so Watson yesterday didn't get sacked on 47 dropbacks. We're talking about a guy. Who had been sacked a, a, a ton? He's only been sacked like once or twice, I think, over the last two weeks now. And I told you, I, I do Houston radio every week, and I'm always, you know, answering questions. How did Watson play this week? And it's always like he made a bunch of plays, but he's got to cut back on the sacks. And a lot of the sacks are on him because the old line's not playing that poorly. The Texans are doing a great job of getting the ball out of his hands in rhythm much more now. Uh, Twenty, he had 28 passes in the zero to nine yard range completed. What was it 23 of them 23 for 26 on the zero to nine yard range for Watson? So he's replacing pressure and sacks with getting the ball out of his hands, only pressured on 13 out of those 47 dropbacks. I think that's the scariest thing for Texans' opponents going forward is that Watson he'll always have the special plays, he'll put the ball in harm's way a little bit. That's fine. But if you start cutting back on some of the negative plays like sacks and replacing them with you know a few completions here and there, it's a very dangerous offense. Mm -hmm. So it was it was supposed to be one of the games of the week. It was really great. It was a it was a a very entertaining game. I I don't think it's panic time in Kansas City, but now you've got banged up Patrick Holmes. They got a quick turnaround Thursday night against the Denver team. That's you know they're a six win team that's playing pretty well. (laughs) Denver as I as I said, Um, let's move on. Washington Redskins at the Miami Dolphins. The we tank spent, bowl. Listen, we spent like an hour and a half on this game in the preview show. So Miami so won the tank bowl. They won. Yeah, Miami, Miami won the tank bowl by virtue of playing terribly. Now, so additionally, I missed their two-point play. I didn't see it. And then I just saw everybody making fun of them <laughs> about this play call. Were people complaining about that as a play call or the fact that it was dropped? I don't know. So what they ran was, you know, they they had... They had trips to the r- trips to the left mm-hmm. and they motioned the outside receiver into a bunch. It's a play that we've talked about on this podcast quite a bit. Every team in the NFL is running this on two point conversions. Yeah. This is the one that New England used against Atlanta a couple years ago to tie it up at 28 in their Super Bowl comeback. The Saints have used it a touch. The Saints even ran a counter off of it last year. They faked it and ran the corner out behind it, which I think is great. Because every NFL team's like on this. So the play call itself is just like pretty standard. Like it's not bad. And then they just threw it and it was dropped, and that's it. Mm. So no, like, LOL Dolphins, what's that play call? They're running the same play everybody else in the NFL is. They just didn't execute it very well.
1: Yeah. That's it. I mean, so the the, uh, the rejuvenated Washington offense under Bill Callahan. We're going to get back to establishing the run. Um, and they, they apparently did. They established a run. Adrian Peterson, 23 carries, 118 yards. Um, and that was enough to overcome the Miami Dolphins by a point. Man, I scored 17 and won the game. But they're going to feel they're going to feel like that was a massive victory. Mm-hmm. That's going to feel good. Yeah. Um so all achieve, all establishing the run achieved for you was to overcome a team that's actively trying to tank the season by a point. Yeah, and yeah. Sc- you
0: scored 17. That's predicted it worked for a week. Um so Miami's offense it's a lot of um bad. A lot of bad. Mm-hmm. Washington defense a lot of good. Josh Rosen gets benched for Ryan Fitzpatrick. Yeah, what do you even do with that at this point? I mean, like Rosen's having kind of a Deshaun. Remember Deshaun Kaiser's rookie season, where it's like, all right, Deshaun Kaiser versus say Cody Kessler and Kevin Hogan on that roster. It's like, all right, we, we need to find out what we have in Deshaun Kaiser. He's got the most quote unquote upside. We got to figure out what he was, but he was playing so poorly in most games, other than one, that they just had to like keep making moves. You know, maybe he's not going to start. and That's kind of where Rosen is right now. Like, you really want to know what you have in Josh Rosen, but at some point you can't just keep trotting him out there if he's playing so horribly. Yeah, well, this is... Uh, in a bad situation. Right, too. this is the point I've made a few times this season,
1: which is that some there are some situations where a quarterback essentially plays himself to the bench. Like, you, you don't really have a choice. They're playing so badly that you just need to pull him from the game because you have to, because yeah. he's playing that badly. Even though there might not actually be any purpose to it, like, nothing is achieved by this move of benching the guy other than I, I had no option. Like, he was playing that badly. I had to sit him down. And that's, I think, what happened there. Terry McLaren, by the way, big game. Yeah, I figured that.
0: Anyway, Fitzpatrick's going to stumble the tank job into a win, by the way, if he, if he starts.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's the danger with Fitzpatrick. Yeah. He's capable of stringing one together. I, they need, what they need to do is essentially bench the guy that starts to play well.
0: Like, the second yeah. one of
1: those guys starts to play well, throw the other one in there. That's
0: uh, he'll have a game where he gets pressured, you know, 40 times. and right, Just YOLOs it up down the he field. He has like three pressured touchdowns. Yeah. And stuff. Yeah. It's going to happen. But that's it. Redskins win 17-16. Uh-huh. Philadelphia Eagles at the Minnesota Vikings. The Vikings dominate this one. This
1: was the game. The Kirk Cousins game. Right. The game you paid him all the money for. The game against a team with a winning record. They had a winning record coming into this game. Right. They did. No longer, yeah. though. So. This was the game, right? This was the game that we've criticized Kirk Cousins all season long for not achieving against a good team. He stinks. He lays an egg. He doesn't do well. This, it actually happened, right? They sped up his time to release. They did target those Philadelphia cornerbacks that were a problem. And they managed to do it. Right. They managed to do it without exposing him to a ton of pressure. This was the game that you pay Kirk Cousins the money for and the game that he was due. For as bad as he'd been playing, we basically been saying all along, in order to get back to his career baseline of just rank average, right. He was due a couple of really big games, and it happened against a big team.
0: So that, that was probably the most positive thing. If you're like a if you're a Vikings fan, it's like, hey, Cousins has played so horribly, and they were still three and two coming into this game. Right? It can't he's, get worse. He's gonna regress back. Regress always. People people hear the word regress and they assume it means get worse, but it also means get better. I mean, it just means do the opposite of what's expected. Is that true? I think mathematically, yeah. Are you sure? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Because from an English language point of view, that would seem unlikely. It does, but he's going to revert back to... Uh, he's going to creep back toward average, hmm. Kirk Cousins. I'm sure there must be I
1: like an, an adonym version of,
0: uh, of regress. Regress to the mean. Ha- or something. You can regress f- to the mean from both ends. Hmm. Sure. Don't go dictionary.com on me right now. I'm, I might. Anyway, you Cousins did a really nice job. He's throwing the ball down the field pretty accurately. Drop some dimes in there. And you got to see the full. Here's Adam Thielen. Here's Stephon Diggs. They're tough to cover, and uh, it was just uh, domination. They, so Cousins also had that really nice game against the Eagles last year, and the Eagles, Jim Schwartz's defense, is kind of like the opposite. You know that we keep talking about the defenses that just like make it difficult on the quarterback. Mm-hmm. I feel like Jim Schwartz's defense just has a lot of games where it's the opposite. There's just a lot of where well, they don't make it difficult. They don't make it difficult. There's just a lot of holes and it's not it's not a whole bunch of tight man coverage you know there's but also there are just so, a lot of games where they just get torched yeah
1: there but there are also offenses so we were saying going into this game that it was an interesting catch 22 situation for the Vikings because the weakness of this defense is on the back end it's a secondary it's the fact that they keep trotting out Jalen Mills as a starting cornerback like that's a giant red target above his head that says hit me um <laughs> And the problem for that for the Vikings is that their strength is in their defensive front and Minnesota's weakness is their offensive line. So it's, well, I really want to go after the guy with the giant red target over his head. But how do I do that without getting my quarterback killed going up against Fletcher Cox and Brandon Graham and all the other pass rushes they have? And it turns out the answer was quite simple. It was let's run what we normally run, which is a lot of these uh, bootlegs and, and rollouts and the kind of stuff that gets a pass rush moving somewhere else. Before they start rushing the quarterback, so they just you know they ran their offense right, which is we don't run a ton of straight dropbacks, exposing these pass rushers right. or exposing our offensive line to these pass rushers that are thinking about nothing else other than murdering the quarterback. It's we roll, we make them think it's run. We roll all this, uh, we run all this roll um, action, bootlegs, those kind of things, and then Kirk Cousins got all day to just heave the ball deep at the guy with the giant red target above his head. And It worked. Well, so that's the issue, right? Is Mills that, didn't play though. Well, this it, it, oh, was was uh, Sydney Jones and Rasul Douglas. No, no, it was Rasul Douglas. Rasul, you meant, yeah, yeah. Um, but it, that, so that was the issue. It's that um, I didn't mean to that, correct you. That's that's no, no, you that. were right. I thirty-two. I
0: I read, but I just I was re like the YouTube comments are on their way, and um, I just wanted to protect you. No, thank you. You meant Rasul. No, you were I know, right.
1: I know, I know thirty-two is Rasul Douglas, but Jalen
0: right. Mills is also on. Just like he's like your Bud Dupree too. you, just. Doesn't matter. I'm just going to pick on him. Sure. I mean, he's all he is bad, so that doesn't. But
1: Rizul Douglas is the one I was thinking of in terms of getting victimized in this game. Um, but it turns out that all you need to do is to make those pass rushers head somewhere else before they're heading at the quarterback, and you can you have the time to be able to heave it deep at the guy that's getting torched by Stephon Diggs. Is there some what's
0: missing from this Eagles offense now? So I'm trying to I'm trying to articulate this properly, and it goes back to a little bit of what the Browns. I think, are doing offensively. The Eagles, from a play-calling standpoint, have been really good the last couple of years offensively and all that stuff. But with with Carson Wentz... So with guys like Carson Wentz, Baker Mayfield, uh, Jameis, it's like they hit a bunch of... Like, here's a big chunk deep out. Here's a big 15-yard deep out. I feel like a lot of those guys, they hit throws. They hit these really nice throws, but it's just like this disconnected offense. It's not this... It's not like dink-dunk here, dink-dunk there, then mix the big throw in. You know, it's just, it's kind of like it's third and long. I make some really nice third and long plays, but there's not enough good first and second down plays to, to, to just sustain offense. And I so, think that's where the Eagles are kind of falling in right now.
1: That's what I was saying. Um, I was on Ross Tucker's, one of Ross Tucker's many podcasts um, last week. The latest one, whatever that one is. <laughs> home and home. That's the way, there you go. Home and home. Um, so I was on that, and they were asking me about Carson Wentz and how good is he. And I was saying that the thing about him is, so when he had that MVP caliber season before he got hurt, it was he was unsustainably and ridiculously good at the things that are incredibly hard to sustain. Yeah. So third and fourth downs, um, the deeper level of intermediate, the, the, the stuff that's low percentage. And it's like, well, obviously that was going to regress. And it did. But the thing is he does appear to actually be consistently above expectation at those things um as a trait you know as his yeah. style of quarterback he is consistently good at the lower percentage plays but at the expense of being consistently below average at the high percentage plays and it it puts you in this weird spot where you know sometimes he, he sometimes he ends up playing a lot better than he either grades or the statistics show because he's doing it at the most important times, right? And there's definitely something to that. But the flip side of that is it means there's a lot of plays that you're leaving on the table or you're just not playing that well. Yeah. And if those start to string together just through game flow or circumstance, you suddenly have an offense that even though it's making a lot of big plays, just isn't functioning the way it needs to. So the great thing about you know, Tom Brady and Drew Brees and the, the genuine best quarterbacks over the last whatever period – is that they always pick up the easy stuff, right? right? And that just always puts you in a better situation to make the more. Like sometimes you're going to need that guy to deliver one of these difficult passes on third and fifty and make a big throw, right? But it's a lot easier to do if you only ask him to do it once or twice a game. If you need the guy to do it six times a game because your first and second down, oh offense then you're is just on fire, right? Then uh, eventually you're just putting the guy in a situation he can't take you out of. But the fact
0: that he's actually consistently good at those plays. Um, is a factor i think that's a it's a good way to put it because you know wentz he, he here, here's what sums it up right under pressure yesterday 10 for 14 two touchdowns and that you know had a pass rating of 111.9 with no pressure passer rating dropped to 80 and I'm, j- I'm only using passer rating in this sense to show offensive production right how productive was the offense under pressure versus no pressure it should not be that different he should not be playing better under pressure so it was another one of those games like where's the Where's the easy stuff? Short, middle—that zero to nine yard range—in the in between the numbers, only four for nine uh, for twenty-one yards. So as an offense, they're not they're not efficient at all levels right now. To kind of take advantage of the fact that Wentz is making a bunch of chunk plays and he's making plays like he, you know, one of his touchdowns, you know, just creating outside the pocket. He's doing a lot of that really nice stuff and the highlight reel stuff. And I think this is in this day and age where everybody wants twitter highlights and all that stuff social media highlights it's really tough to convey the point that the the quarterbacks that are Brady and Breeze like and Peyton like and are just really good for 60 snaps rather than just putting up you know four or five highlight reel plays the consistency factor of quarterback play is really important yeah because the, before you know it it's like oh you just completed 70% of your passes for 320 yards and it didn't feel like it but it's because you were just consistent and just made a, you know, made 40 good decisions when you drop back rather than just like three spectacular plays.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's something to this idea of like, just take the easy stuff, right? The, if you take the easy stuff, it gives us such a high baseline to build from so that you don't actually need to be that amazing at the high, uh, the low percentage difficult to make plays. You're just in a better spot. Is, uh, is Stefan Diggs happy after this game now? Yeah, I think. He's. So last week they opened up the passing game, but all of it went to Adam Thielen. He should be happy now. So now, three touchdowns, 167 yards, a couple of drops in there as well. Could have been even higher. Um, basically victimized the Eagles.
0: <laughs> like, NFC North, man. And
1: at home, so everyone was yeah. happy about it. You know, a lot of big crowd it's a Nice dome noise. game. Yeah. Nice dome game for Cousins. Stephon Diggs, the hero of the hour.
0: So let me just say, I don't think that, so this is supposed to be the game for Cousins, but he had a really good game against the Eagles last year. Still, still want to wait and see a little well, bit. Well, I mean Cousins. you're
1: going to need more than one of them, right? But oh, the point yeah. is this was one of those games that he isn't supposed to do that in. True.
0: And he did. Good, good job Kirk Cousins, you're probably going to This be is good why a week.
1: like this is why the narrative on Cousins is always more complicated than just he's an 84 million dollar quarterback, he sucks, right? He does suck for a lot of the time, but when he doesn't suck at important times. Right. And and yeah, you're right. A lot of the time and a lot of the important times. But he does have games like this where he looks really, really good. And it's against a good team. Like there are games in there. If he, if he played like this every single week, he would be worth $84 million as a quarterback. Well, yeah, he'd be in the hall of fame. Right now, obviously he's somewhere in the middle, right? He isn't as bad as he shows against good teams where he looks like absolute crap and plays terribly. Neither is he as good as this game where he justifies the $84 million contract or at least one game of it. Um, so he's somewhere in the middle and the problem is you can never quite work out what you're going to get in any given week and it looks like it's skewing too far towards the first guy but if they can get it to st- all the thing the reason that I thought the deal for Cousins initially was not the worst one in the world is that if he strings three of these games together they can win a super bowl yeah that's not an unreasonable ask right now he hasn't done it yet. But that was what we mean... used to say
0: back when we were podcasting back in 2012. We're like, oh, the league has shown you could just if you just run into a three-game Flacco.
1: Right. It's like the Flacco thing, right? I don't. I think the concept was that they didn't have confidence that Teddy Bridgewater or Case Keenum or Sam Bradford was even capable of stringing those three games together. I think the notion is that Kirk Cousins is at least capable of it. He just hasn't done it yet. Now he may never do it, and it may end up being a busted flush of a contract, but I think the notion is
0: he is at least capable of making that run if we can get there. But we also said at the time, if you're gonna do it, do it like this. Eight of his 29 attempts were 20-plus yards down the field. Yeah, yeah, and some of those were manufactured bootleg-type things. Like you said, they're getting him outside the pocket and all that stuff. But eight passes at 20-plus yards, another six at 10-plus yards. So we're talking, you know, about half of his passes at 10-plus yards down the field. You know, I think you have to take the good with the bad with Kirk Cousins because there will be games like this. Yeah, yeah. Well, there'll be some ones where he's going to put the ball in in harm's way and all that stuff. He'll he'll turn it over a little bit more than uh, maybe Case Keenum in this system or Sam Bradford or Teddy Bridgewater. But yeah, I'm a, I'm all for that. And
1: then if he could just get trash talked by a linebacker of the of the opposition before every game, that would probably help. Oh, there you go.
0: All right, we got a couple other, uh, we have a lot of other games to get through. New Orleans Saints at the Jacksonville Jaguars, 13-6. to Yeah. Not a so, lot
1: of highlights in this one, Sam. I, when, the game, when I was watching the game that I was watching, literally they didn't mention or show anything from this game at all. Zero mention. Nothing. Um, and it wasn't until I was watching the condensed version this morning that I realized why that was. That actually nothing happened in this game at all. Nothing at all of note happened in this game. Uh, they went into half, was it 6-6 at halftime? Um, yeah, it was pretty miserable.
0: Teddy Bridgewater, um, you know, wasn't he – was, he was okay. He was solid. Uh, he was not as, as, as dominant as he was the previous week against the Bucks at home in the Dome. What I liked about Bridgewater was his touchdown. Really nice pass up and away from coverage for the score, the only touchdown in the game. So he did a nice job there. Tight red zone accuracy. On the other side, Gardner Minshew against the Saints defense. Didn't so I think well. there's two storylines here. The Saints defense as a whole has been has been just good. I mean, they've they've made life difficult on opposing quarterbacks and then Minshew, I think what he finally had an interception after teasing it for a while, right? And yeah. then he had another one of those fumbles, man. I think that the fumbles in the pocket
1: not even just the fumbles, you know, he's a lot of young quarterbacks have this this tendency to hang on to the ball too long in the pocket and just not understand where when things are bad happening. You know, the thing is collapsing around you. You need to get rid. Right. And if you don't, it's a problem. Like, he had the fumble, but there was also another play where, honestly, I was expecting a fumble to materialize. Cameron Jordan crashed down upon him, and somehow he held on it. But those are the kind of plays where those fumbles happen, and he has too many of them. Um, also, this was a victory for um, the superior mustache. Cameron Jordan's mustache has... It's, like, waxed and, you know and really? curls up and stuff. So there was, somebody was asking him about it and he was like, "Well, look, mine mine curls up. Hmm. Minshew's mustache is a sad face." <laughs> um and the sad face, the sad face came out in the worst end of it. So again, you're really bringing it.
0: Mustache yeah, evaluation. That's yeah, what we're here for. Your eval's great. Thank you. Uh, if you're a Saints fan, I don't think you could be any more thrilled than uh the winning the all the games yes. with a no quarterback. The way they've held the fort. Yeah. Uh Bridgewater, no. So Bridgewater's last two games though, clearly his best of of what the four starts. So he's on a much better run here. These he is. last these last couple. I mean of he's look, he yeah,
1: he's looked the first two games were legitimately like winning in spite of the quarterback. This one the last two have at least been. Okay, he's he's a part of these victories. This one was a little more ugly than the last one, but yeah, he he's they are winning games now with a quarterback that isn't Drew Brees, but at least is capable of executing what they need him to and being part of the win All
0: right, Baltimore Ravens 23 Cincinnati Bengals 17 didn't even feel this close yeah throughout the game Uh, Lamar played pretty solid for Baltimore he just did a lot I mean he had a so he had 150 rushing yards which is like the big story I think 20 or 30 of them came right before the half that were just completely irrelevant completely irrelevant I mean he was awesome Don't get me wrong, but he, with about 10 seconds left, just took off, ran for 30, and just ran the (laughs) clock out. And it's like, all right, free stats, free EPA, free everything. Every metric, QBR loved it probably because it's all rushing yards. So anyway, Lamar ran 19 times for 152. Take out the QB Neals, at 16 for 155, only 53 of which came on scrambles. So that that 29-yard scramble at the end. But it was a lot of the design run game. And so I think I keep coming back to the fact that Baltimore – has this in the holster if they need it the run game this designed run game with Lamar which they have not unleashed a ton this year but they're picking their spots with it and he had uh, 13 designed runs yesterday
1: yeah um they they I mean he looked reasonably good John Jerry started a game at left tackle in the NFL it was it was ugly man that is
0: just he was giving up sacks on disgusting. plays where he wasn't necessarily trying to, like he was just there was a slight miscommunication And then there was other plays where he was trying to block the edge defender, and it looked about the same. Yeah.
1: Um, Having said that, it would be concerning to me as a Ravens fan, the lack of pressure that they were able to apply. Now, Dalton was still getting the ball out quickly, though not as quickly as he has the rest of this season. Um, Like, part of their gig is this offense is a disaster. The ball needs to come out of his hand as as soon as humanly possible. Otherwise, we're all screwed. Right. Um, That was, you know, the same kind of game plan this week only it took them a little bit longer. But Dalton
0: was pressured on 8 out of 42 dropbacks. and Yeah, their high-end sacks were... I mean, uh, Matthew Judon and Tyus Bowser each had really nice rushes for sacks. But yeah, other than that, right. there wasn't a whole and, lot. You know,
1: when you're dealing with bad offensive players, typically when they do lose, they're going to lose quickly, and you're going to see some ugly plays in there. But the point is, like this should have been one of those games where they were just in the backfield every single play, and it wasn't the case. Like we've said before, this lack of pass rush... From the Baltimore Ravens is kind of concerning, particularly against good teams that's going to be a problem, like they are just not going to generate pressure at which point you need the back end to hold up all game long, and that's easy enough when you're going up against the Bengals that don't have any wide receivers anymore, but you're going to play better teams than them, and
0: you're going to run into problems. yeah, I agree i think there's there's a lot there's a lot that the Ravens need to prove defensively still I, I don't think you're learning a lot no in this game lamar just did like a lot of nice subtle things that were that were pretty good the statistical output still wasn't great from a you know passing attack standpoint but i think the play calling for baltimore was just fantastic you've got you've got lamar rolling out you've got you know some easy plays in there some schemed up plays he's making a few nice throws here and there and then they've got him in the design run game with ingram and those other backs um so the ravens just remain i think difficult to uh Yeah, to defend just two passes completed above 10 yards for Lamar yesterday. Yeah, still some some head-scratching misses in there for him, but some good ones too. Because we have to, we're not completely, we can't always say negative things about Lamar. People get mad. Okay. We just tell it like it is. Uh Spectacular on the ground for Lamar Jackson. Very difficult to defend. Yeah. As always. So 23-17, Ravens win. It wasn't really as close as that. Poor Andy Dalton. He made some nice throws in here, too. But he also had a couple misreads of underneath coverage. And, uh, yeah. Poor Andy Dalton. Yeah, Andy just can't carry
1: a team like this. Well, nobody can carry. I don't know if anybody can carry a team like that. I mean, look at the offensive line in front of him. Andy has no wide receivers to throw to. Like, what? you know, who in the NFL
0: is carrying that offense? Not many people. Right. All right. San Francisco 49ers, twenty. Los Angeles Rams 7. So the 49ers might be legit. So from a passing... There was a game a couple years ago. Remember the uh, Denver, the no-fly zone, Super Bowl year, where Green Bay with Aaron Rodgers, even in an uneven year for him in 2015, they went in to Denver on Sunday Night Football and threw for like 78 yards or something like that. And it was like Rodgers didn't even play that poorly. He He just had nobody to throw to. He just had no shot. And then if he did have somebody, he'd miss him. You know, it was just one of those games. This felt... no. Goff didn't play well, but this just kind of felt like, who are you even throwing to? Like, where, where, where are the openings in the defense? Where is it happening? And then when Goff did his last miss, Gerald Everett just wide open. I was about to tweet, man, the Niners just making life difficult on QBs. There's nowhere to throw. And then they bust a coverage. Gerald Everett's just running wide open, and Goff misses him. It was just ugly all around for the Rams. Yeah, I mean... But... They ran the ball a lot. They did. Um, I almost don't blame them. No, I do blame them. But <laughs> the, the, the mentality was exactly what I'm saying. This Rams, this Niners defense is just too tough. We can't put it all on Jared again. We can't have Jared throw the ball 50 times.
1: This, So this Niners defense, they deserve a ton of credit for what they've done. Um, so two things. One, they have nailed both of the big offseason acquisitions in terms of fixing the edge pass rush right we've joked before about how they had these 17 three techs couldn't get them all on the field at the same time as good as they all were it didn't matter because nobody was around the edge to take advantage of that nobody could pressure around the edge forcing things to go chaotic in the middle for those guys to really eat and when those guys got pressure quarterbacks were just able to escape off the edge because nobody's getting pressure now all of a sudden the 17 three techs are still there they're still really good but now you have two legitimate pass rushers on the edge. You've got Nick Bosa, who, you know, their top draft pick is playing extremely well, and D Ford is doing extremely well as a situational pass rusher. So now you've got a front that's really, really tough to deal with. And then the other thing they deserve a ton of credit for is the secondary on the back end, because all the way through the offseason, everyone was like, when are they getting secondary help? When are they. When are they adding somebody? Is it going to be free agency? Why didn't they bring a cornerback in? Why didn't they draft somebody? And all the way along, they were like, look, this is a young group. They didn't play that well. They didn't play well last year. And Sherman. Right, a young group and Sherman. They didn't play well last year, but we have confidence that this group, with another year of development, will play much better next season. And they have played much better next season. Now, obviously, increasing the pressure up front will help, um, but they've legitimately taken big steps forward on the back end And that's huge because now the defense – it's not like the Eagles where it's, okay, sure, you've got a really good defensive front, but the secondary is just a sieve. It's like, no, the secondary can hold up as well. Now it's just a really tough defense, top to bottom. And you achieved that because you basically said, no, we're not listening to everyone. We believe in the talent already in
0: the room, and they're going to show people. D Ford with 10 pressures over the last two games. I think Frank Clark has 13 on the season. Hmm. Does that sound right? I mean, yes. Now, D only has – 17 on the season but his grade's much higher so he's winning more blocks he's got four sacks and we had questions we didn't say this is a slam dunk that d ford is a better pass rusher than frank clark but we said the most recent evidence is d ford being a much his highest season is much better than frank clark's so if you're into this d ford versus uh frank clark i mean the story discussion. there is
1: less so much the d ford thing yes he is backing up what he did last season and he, like the 49ers are only really using him as a situational rusher, which is probably where he's best. Yeah. And he's doing well there. But the big story is that Frank Clark has just been nothing. Like, Frank, whatever. Wherever sure. you were on the Frank Clark spectrum in terms of, I mean, yeah, he's reasonably good, but he's not amazing. To Frank Clark's one of the best edge rushers in the NFL. I've seen these five plays on tape that make me think that. Wherever you were on that spectrum, he's been a disaster this he's year. He's below everything.
0: Right. Um so Solomon Thomas had a sack. Yeah. On 14 rushes. Did you Bless see the him. sack? It was it was one of my least favorite plays in football, Sam. Oh yeah. They tried to back block the 3 technique hmm. on play action power with no hinge help from the tackle. Okay. There is nothing that gets me more fired up huh. than that. Okay. So essentially, you got the defensive tackle like over here and the center's over here. Huh. Okay, defensive Close, tackle yes, here, the center's please. here. Yeah. Right, uh-huh. And the center's trying to yeah. back block him. So he needs it because the guard's pulling. Yeah. So the guard's leaving, and the center's got to go block him and somehow protect the quarterback. So what most teams do, they get the center here, the guard leaves, and then the tackle's here. The tackle usually steps down and just gives a little bit of help. Right? Throws the right arm out there, takes the outside rush, and then the, it gives the center time to get over there. For some reason... Uh, New England does this all the time and a few other teams don't actually have the tackle step down and help and if the and all the three technique has to do Solomon Thomas in this case is just run straight up the field and he's got a pretty much a straight shot at the quarterback because it's an impossible block for the center if the defensive tackle just gets upfield that's what happened okay. Center had no shot. Am I crazy? I just can't stand those play calls. But Solomon okay. picked up a sack. Am I crazy,
1: or are they starting to use Solomon inside as a three-take more? Well, they were. That's where he was lined up there. Well, I know they were in that play, but I haven't checked the numbers as to where he's been. I haven't either. Week. Don't put me on the spot like that. I'm trying to
0: okay. complain about I mean, this. I mean, I thought you might know these things. need hinge help from the tackle. Sure. And maybe the tackle, maybe maybe didn't know. Maybe wit didn't get over there. Anyway,
1: so this defense from the 49ers looks pretty nasty, albeit aided by your least favorite play call. Um, And the offense is able to make enough plays to keep ticking over, make some bad ones as well, but it's making enough plays to be decent. Um, Somehow the loss of the MVP, um, Kyle Juszczyk, didn't prevent them scoring points. Um, I haven't run the numbers
0: as to why that is, but hmm. more importantly, they lost veteran presence, McGlinchey. Yeah. And a pretty nice job by Daniel Brunskill in his – place at right tackle Brunskill was an undersized um, I don't know what his weight is now because he's listed in our system at 260 because he was essentially a tight end turned tackle at San Diego State a couple years ago and a pretty athletic guy and I am all for trying to turn tight ends into tackles like pretty good blocking tight ends okay this could be a steal I mean it's only one game but when you get when you could like steal a, a, a reasonable tackle in a world that doesn't have many good tackles there's like 20 good ones in the world and you can get it, you know, creep back toward average with a former tight end turn tackle. I think it's a little underrated story. Bro. George
1: the Kittle player. is also stupidly good. Yeah, he's like, awesome. Ridiculously good. Um George Kittle invalidates the need of this team for a number one wide receiver. Like everyone else needs a number one receiver, this team has George Kittle and they play in a way that he's more important yeah. than a number one receiver they, anyway. S-
0: plus they scheme it up pretty well.
1: Yeah. So, but he makes these plays where he just wrecks people after the catch is He's, he's legitimately the new Gronk in terms of being the best tight end in the NFL. Not Travis Kelsey, huh? No. I mean, George Kittle does everything
0: Travis Kelsey does, plus he can block better. Oh, I agree. I'm just, just answering the question that people are going to ask. Uh, asking I mean, the question that look, people are going Kelsey
1: ask. is as good as anybody as a receiving tight end, a run after the catch thread. But George Kittle appears to be as good as, as
0: him at that, plus he blocks better. So, both defenses were pretty good in this game. I mean, that's an underrated part for the Rams. The defense played better. Uh, We talked last week, though, about you don't need to run the ball to protect the defense and all that stuff. So, the Rams ran the ball a lot more. They had 22 carries for 100 yards, over 100 yards. And they would have, and this was, they had 22 carries like before the fourth quarter. Like, they didn't throw the, they, they were playing from behind right. at the end, and they started throwing it. So they had the run fully established. And the point we made last <laughs> week was that if you may, if you if you play this, it's an uncomfortable game when you drop back fifty times. Yeah, it's just uncomfortable because there is more plays that just don't feel good. There is more incompletions. There is more turnover-worthy throws. It's that usually
1: because things are going badly, so it's inherently,
0: you know. But I am saying if you if you game planned like Kansas City does, and you are like, if we're going to run fifty plays. 35 of them are passes and 15 of them are runs. Like nobody does that except maybe Kansas City, New England at times, but it's a game plan oriented where it's like we're going to throw the ball 35 or 40 times out of our out of 50 plays in, in general, right? But the Rams, if they drop back 50 times, it might be a little uncomfortable. But they've been scoring 28, 30 points the last couple of weeks when doing that. So today this week they did the opposite and kind of ran the ball a ton and you know tried to keep the ball A little bit longer but it also put when they had to pass they couldn't the passing game didn't have any rhythm so i don't know do you blame the fact that they ran too many times and just didn't give the passing offense enough opportunities or do you blame the passing offense for not taking advantage of you know for for actually passing for 78 78 yards on 13 of 24 for jared goff plus four sacks i mean it's like a net 30 yards passing
1: another um another vein of what the hell has happened to player x what the hell has happened to rob havenstein i don't i don't he's gone know. from being one of the better tackles in the nfl to playing badly
0: this year this is acknowledging he'd been protected by the scheme a little yeah, bit
1: but that's still there like that didn't sure. disappear
0: and so it's just a huge drop off. Yeah. Massive. So, but it's, so it's not just the fact that it's Brian Allen and a couple. Other right. There's new, new guys. There's there.
1: new faces on this offensive line, which are which were always going to be a problem. Andrew Whitworth, at some point, is going to start playing like a guy that's, you know, 40. Um, and then Rob Havenstein is the one guy that should have been relatively immune to just random drop offs of playing terribly. And yet hasn't been. He's completely fallen off a cliff like the rest of the guys, um, you know, th- I recognize that he's got worse people inside of him generally, but that should not—that doesn't explain how
0: much he's fallen off. Somebody just asked me on Twitter if I watched the game or just looked at the box score with reference to Patrick Mahomes. Hmm. Uh oh! I said it was his worst game. So if I had just looked at the box score, it's not even close to his worst game. True. Mm-hmm. It's actually the complete opposite. Come on, man! Blake NFL draft. It's an NFL draft guy. So the Niners are legit one of two undefeated teams. Apparently. Remaining. Yeah. Who saw
1: What's that next? coming?
0: Nobody. Uh, the Cardinals did win. Cardinals won 34-33. to 33. Poor Matt Bryant. Yeah. Poor, um, poor Matt Ryan Falcons. Yeah,
1: and that defense. And poor defense. Is, it's just miserable. So it, it did exactly what we said. It was bad enough to make this offense, the mid-install offense, actually look quite good. Yeah, I, I look, Kyler Murray's played
0: great the last couple of weeks. Uh, he his, made some really nice passes in this did. game. It was it's it, last two weeks easily his best two games. But at the same time, it's like, all right, it was against the Bengals, it was against the Falcons. Yeah, like there
1: were some plays in this game where it's like all of the linebackers turn around, run away from the line of scrimmage, and they just dump the ball over the middle to David Johnson. Yeah. It takes him like 5 seconds for anybody to meet him. It's like a, and then the guy that does meet him misses the tackle. Like, come on. Like, at some point, it's too easy. And that like some plays in this game were just too, too easy for Kyler Murray and the
0: offense. Yeah, the, the, the Falcons have just gone from a... They were never a good defense under Dan Quinn. No. Look, let's not, let's not kid ourselves. Even in the Super Bowl run, that offense, led by Kyle Shanahan and MVP Matt Ryan, that was why they won all those games that year. The defense was kind of an issue. We saw that at the end of the Super Bowl that year. But they, was, they were creeping back toward better. Toward average, right? And Deion Jones was balling in 2017, and the defense started to get better in 2017, and then they just fell off a, fell off the cliff last year, and this year has been even worse, and I don't know if it's completely talent, but it's also that scheme, too. It's this yeah. simplistic scheme where you just need everybody to carry out their simple assignments and tackle and be in the right place and not not give up yards after the catch and not bust coverages, and they're doing all that stuff, too, while also probably having less talent than we gave him credit for I
1: can't in. remember who it was. I think it might have been Tony Romo yesterday talking about how generally this Seattle style of scheme has kind of been figured out in the NFL. Like, it was so dominant early on in large part because it was kind of new. People weren't really doing that um, every single play. And, that you know, they went to the Super Bowl. They ran up against teams that you would have expected to actually do okay against them, but they just yeah. hadn't worked out exactly how to carve up this system yet. Now – it's it gets muddied by the fact that they then lose all of the Legion of Boom personnel, and it's like, well, are they worse now because they don't have the personnel they used to, or are they worse because the scheme has been worked out? But then you start to look where the scheme has gone throughout the rest of the NFL, and there's nobody nobody's ever gotten back to where the Seattle Seahawks were. And if anything, I'm not sure anybody's gotten better running this type of system. Um, so I think there's probably some weight to this idea that this system is either in need of an overhaul in terms of the next level of evolution. there needs to be a 2.0 version because teams have figured out how to go after the 1.0 version um, or it just needs to it needs to change because it's too easily exposed right now. Um, I think the Falcons are like the perfect example of that. They're running like version 1.0 without any of the latest updates and installs. They've got like a queue in the bottom left hand corner of the screen saying, you have 79 up, uh, outstanding updates. Please update. And they're just going, nope, we're going to keep going. The playbook is what the playbook is. We're going to keep rolling as is. And teams are just ripping it to pieces
0: right now. Yeah, it's just not, just not great. And, uh, you yeah, know, true font banged up and all that. It's just not great defensively for the Falcons. So good game for Kyler Murray. Back to back good games for Kyler Murray. He's driving the ball down the field a lot more effectively than he did earlier in the year. So that's good to see. Still want to see it against better defenses, but I think trending in the right direction. Matt Ryan had a solid game. A lot of people are, are going full. Poor Matt Ryan. 30 for 36 for 356 and four touchdowns. Maybe not as good as those ridiculous stats no. would show, but, but this he, was, is, he was good. Yeah, I mean, This is just,
1: one of those games where
0: any kind of viable defense you should win. It was also one of those weird games, like a couple weeks ago, Deshaun Watson missed like five passes, but the ones he missed, like he probably should have hit. Yeah, that was Matt Ryan only missed a handful of throws, but there was like a deep out and the the announcers were going nuts. Like, that's the throw. It's like fourth down. You got to hit that throw. So even though the Falcons should have scored 34, there are still like when you're losing games, those like handful of misses here and there seem like they Mm -hmm. they're worth more. I don't want to put any of this blame on the Falcons' offense, though. I mean, they were they were good. They scored. Yeah. They
1: did their job. It wasn't a perfect game, but no, almost no game is, right? Yeah. So the those become big problems because the defense is keeping pace with your what, what you're doing. Every time you score, they're allowing them to score as well. So suddenly, those plays that you're missing look like they're massive key plays yeah. because they're on you. If they were, if they were 15 points up, because the defense is actually doing its job. Nobody would care. Matt Ryan's allowed miss to play. miss a few throws right. here. And there. I mean, this is Which like, is what happens with every other play, right? It's yeah. that the defense actually holding up their end of the bargain. Other quarterbacks miss those plays as well, but it doesn't matter because the
0: defense is fine. Is it unfair to not apply the same analysis to the Falcons defense that I applied to Matt Ryan? And the reason why I'm just going to ride him to another fantasy football championship here, Sam. We said coming into the year, coming into the year Matt Ryan's going to play 12 straight games indoors and he's got calvin ridley and julio and hooper he's got all these playmakers to throw to so he's going to put up huge numbers i expected huge numbers from matt ryan is it fair to apply that same analysis to the defense and say these poor guys have to play 12 straight indoor games perfect passing conditions passer rating six points higher indoors versus outdoors historically i mean there are it is a factor uh, that's got to be a little bit of a factor here right for the falcons sure I mean, it's definitely part of it. But. I mean, this team was essentially set up to play Big 12 games this year. Yes. Based off their schedule. Right. Because they have a road game like this that's still indoors. Yeah. They have I mean, road games indoors. Yes. Texans and all that
1: stuff. That always know? helps. When when Matt Ryan doesn't have to travel to Pennsylvania, it all, is, all should be beneficial to the world.
0: All right. A few more games to get through. But let's also remind people about our awesome shirts. Yes. From Proper Cloth. Mm-hmm. Propercloth.com. You guys can get $20 off your first shirt purchase using the promo code PFF. 20 the people around the office call me a freak sometimes sam it's not very nice really but even freaks can get shirts over proper cloth because i just put in my measurements and it all fits me perfectly yeah once you figure out what your measurements are that was the biggest challenge is you you whiff the first time i put my weight in a little bit too high the first time because yeah, yeah i was I ate a lot this summer
1: well your own your own your own wife told you you were no longer slim fit
0: that was a mistake Which too. Felt because you could pick: Are you athletic fit, yeah, yeah. slim fit, or like? She was like,
1: "Honey, it's time. You're no longer slim fit." She clicked. She helped me with the. The problem is when you yeah. say you're no longer slim fit, but you're six ten, the thing shows up looking like a sail for a boat. It was too big. Yeah, plus you could have gone swimming in it. I fixed my measurements right, and they sent the shirt back. And the thing is, right? And so it's, and it's nice. It's one thing. I think most it fits shirts, well. most shirts have like a couple of basic measurements, right? It's collar, it's sleeve length. And that's it, right? Like chest. Oh, yeah. Maybe chest, right? There's like three or four basic measurements for a shirt because most people are normal, right? Right. Like most. me. You apparently not. So, proper cloth has these weird measurements that I didn't even know were a thing. Like, you can, I was joking before that apparently you appear to need roomier armpits than regular humans. I do. And I, I was just joking, thinking that was you know, an unfortunate situation you were stuck with for the rest of your life. But apparently, proper cloth allows you to loosen up the pits. And I need that, yeah, as you said. Right. So, so you, you can... just you dial in your measurements. You figure out, oh, it turns out I need room in your pits. You put that into your proper cloth thing. You save it. And bam, now you can get free-fitting shirts that no longer hug your armpits.
0: Yeah, it's pretty important. And men don't always like shopping. It's easy to do. You just put all your measurements in, and once you've got your measurements all set, and they send you a shirt, and you're like, "Hey, that fits perfectly." They're all saved, and then you can buy as many shirts as you want. It's great. Propercloth.com. PFF20 is the promo code. Twenty dollars off your first shirt.
1: You were strangely obsessed by the color lavender for reasons I was. I've got to a understand. pretty
0: decent mix of shirts. I've got a like lavender one.
1: was the one you were missing. Yeah, I did okay. feel
0: like this lavender twill was a was a key part of the wardrobe. Huh. All right. And then I I rocked it uh, last week for. A video that we shot over here, and with my navy pants, I think it. I think it was great. I huh. think it was a great combo.
1: Okay, I just
0: went with gray. Um, I with like my, that with my the my buttons. Cool, like accent. Features. I like the accent on the so collar. There's and all also stuff. there's a ton okay. of
1: different like colors and materials and stuff. Fully like, customizable. There yeah. are options. Yeah, yeah. You design your own custom bespoke shirt. Where there's a ton of different um, a materials and b colors. There's some that I kind of want to have the guts to try, but. It's it's an all or nothing thing, right? It's like a crazy ass pattern, and it's either going to look amazing or horrendous, and nothing in the middle. But if you have, you know,
0: bigger cojones than I do, you could you could roll out the crazy pattern. I one. just like the option. This is how this is essentially how men shop now. So yeah. go do it. Properplot twenty PFF twenty. All right, so let's get to this. We got to talk about this Broncos Titans game, right? Do we really sixteen to nothing? <sighs> so Mariota was one of the quarterbacks I had mentioned was getting away with some stuff. Finally ca- bench. He came into this game with a 107 passer rating. So yeah. Yeah. But this particular game, I think it was nine. He had two picks that should have been, so that kind of offset a little bit. He's taken too many sacks. He was not good. But Ryan Tannehill came in and started to feed Corey Davis. <laughs> there might be a connection there. Uh huh. Yeah.
1: Um, the Titans. Tannehill comes in, catches fire, leads them to
0: nothing. The. Are the Titans really close to what the Bears are as far as like, hey, the roster looks pretty good. The defense isn't as good as the Bears, but, I mean, the defense can do some – they can do some damage in Tennessee. And they're just being held back by inconsistent quarterback play. I mean, they're definitely being held back
1: by the quarterback. Um, And I've been saying this kind of for a while. that At some point, you probably do need to sit down, Mariota, if just because – at some point, you need to make the point that this is not okay. The way you're playing right now is below a level we need you to play at. And if you're not going to do it, we're going to give someone else a shot at doing it. And okay, it's Ryan Tannehill, so he's probably not capable of doing it either. But I'm getting sick of watching you try, so we're going to make a switch. That's basically what happened in this game, is they reached a point where they're like, you know what, I'm fed up. Like, get off. Stop. I have, I'm, I'm done. I have reached the end of my tether, and I am no longer prepared to watch Mar- Marcus Mariota fail another
0: drive so we're gonna throw tanhill out there to do it instead you know what's tough when you because everybody wants to blame the titans offensive line as well right and we just part of the problem they're a little part of the problem but the thing about the offensive line is all of their pressures are turning into sacks plus we get derrick henry down for giving up two sacks but like taylor Luan gave up one pressure on 48 yeah opportunities and roger saffold gave up two pressures on 48 opportunities Luan's was a sack One of two for Saffold were sacks. Nate Davis was getting smoked. The rookie guard uh, out of Charlotte was just getting smoked the whole game. He was pretty much the big weakness on the offensive line as far as pass protection goes. Other than that, it wasn't like a disaster. The problem is Mariota and Tannehill are almost identical players when it comes to their skill set. I'll say I think Tannehill's got a little bit more of that outside the pocket creativity and Mariota's probably a little bit better inside the pocket but both guys take too many sacks hold the ball a little bit too long i'm okay with the switch just you know maybe find a spark and you know, Montana Hills had stretches of good play in his career but again much like Marcus Mariota has
1: yeah so they've just reached the point where it's like okay sometimes you have to make the switch because the quarterback plays his way into it right and even though again there may be no purpose to it we may be just bouncing between these two guys as the same human being at quarterback, and none, neither of them are going to fix it. But at some point, you need to just make the
0: point that the way you're playing right now is not is not acceptable. Man, yeah, just not good. So we talked about this game. I think this is the game I talked to my, I, I explained why Tennessee would bounce back and win, and then said, "Well, it's definitely going to be Denver, How right?" Did that work out.
1: I took Denver. Oh, you did. Remember, you I reversed yourself. Um, I did it right. You're going to have to explain to Denver fans that because you. You call them a
0: six win team. Now they're winning games. Yeah, they've got two. Yeah. Yeah, they're gonna win six. Oh wow. They're gonna hate a six win team wins between five and seven. Uh yes, exactly between five and seven, in fact. Yeah, but they win like either five, six, or seven. Yeah, it's a six win team. You know, a couple things go the other way. So they'll be they'll be between five and seven this year.
1: Okay. Mm-hmm.
0: This is what you know, they they won a nice game on the road against the Chargers. Maybe it's not that nice of a win after what we saw mm-hmm. last night. But yeah, they're going to win some home games. It's tough to play in Denver. Like, Denver's never going to have the number one overall pick. They're never going to go 2-14. and 14. No matter what they trot out there, it's tough to go and play in Denver. That's a disadvantage, <laughs> being the Broncos. You're not going to get the number one pick. It's a disadvantage. That's my, that's my theory on Denver. Okay. Even the worst Denver... Te- like, the Trevor Simeon-led Denver teams were six-win teams, right? They, they snuck a few wins in there because going into Denver is an advantage. It's difficult. And that's what that was. Okay. They pitch a shutout, and they got this defense. Chris Harris, well, the defense
1: played well, but again, Tennessee. Um, the offense, yeah, um, you know, when you get sixteen points total, you probably didn't play that well in offense.
0: Um, well, yeah. Flacco managed the heck out of the game. He had one, <laughs> uh, two completion, one completion beyond twenty yards, one completion beyond, well, two total beyond ten yards. But managed the heck out of the game. It was just check down city again for Joe. That's what he's there for.
1: It is. Can we get onto this Jets Dallas game? Yeah, there's was a lot. I kind of want to give you credit cuz I think you called this being a much closer game than people expected. Did say that. Yeah, don't write off the Jets. Um what was interesting is that Tony Somebody Romo wrote them off. Tony know. Romo said that as well at the start of the game. Yeah. Um so for a guy that gets a people Want to wax lyrical about how Tony Romo is amazing at explaining what's going on, right? Yeah. But then spent like three plus hours in this game completely unable to articulate why Greg Williams' defense is tricky for quarterbacks. <laughs> um, said it in like the first couple of minutes. He's like, I think this game's going to be tough for Dallas. Um, He's like the the Jets. A like half of his argument was that the Jets are a different team with Sam Darnold, which is fair enough. The other half of the argument is that Greg Williams' defense is tricky for quarterbacks to go against, right? But he then spent the next three hours completely unable to tell you why. Just kept repeating that it's a tricky defense for quarterbacks. But watching it, I came to my own conclusion as to why that was. Um, and so Greg Williams takes a ton of crap for lining up a safety seven and a half miles away from the line of scrimmage every single play, right? Not all the time, but yeah. Most of the time, there's always, you know, there's 10 guys somewhere near the line of scrimmage. And then there's one guy lined up in Nebraska. And one's like, why? What are they doing? This is ridiculous. It's third and three. Why is there a safety 25 yards off the line of scrimmage? Um, the thing is, there are so we've people have sort of done some numbers and, and some studies on what this does. And it definitely causes a hole in the defense, right? It takes away the deep threat over the top, but at the expense of creating this giant hole between that safety and everything underneath him, which exposes the middle of your defense. Um, So one of the questions with Williams is always, "Well, why does he keep getting these jobs, right? This looks ridiculous. It doesn't seem to function that well. But what it does is he schemes up a ton of pressure. He's a really aggressive defensive coordinator. He's going to come after you with the blitz. He's going to come after you with numbers. And he's going to have that safety sitting on sitting way back. So there's a giant hole there, but where that giant hole is, is the one area of the defense where it's tricky to get to quickly. So he's going to come after you with a ton of pressure. And usually the two ways of defeating that are one, like a quick hot route, you know, in behind the pressure, but something short, but he's got that area stacked full of bodies. Maybe they're not all coming, but they're there. Um, and then the other area, paradoxically, where you can actually get the ball quite quickly is deep because you can put the ball in the air on a deep shot really fast. Right. It's just, you know, you throw a rainbow 40 yards down the sideline. You can actually put that ball in the air really quickly, um, even though it's a deep shot that you would think, paradoxically, takes a long time to develop. So the two areas that you can actually access really fast, he takes away with where he lines everybody up. It's, and the one area that he actually exposes is the area that it's actually quite difficult to access quickly. So now you're faced with all this crazy blitz pressure. Dallas's offensive line is not as good as it was because both starting tackles are down. So they've got a ton of pressure coming at them, and they don't have an easy way of exploiting it because the, the, the one thing that that defense actually does is typically cover up the things that you normally attack when that happens. This was, So that's my theory.
0: No, it's a good description, and I think you know he also plays that like really – He'll play some like inverted cover two on third down. And, and he's one of those guys on like third and long. He'll like play the sticks and, you know, do some things that are a little unorthodox. But it's like, man, what do you, there's really not a whole lot of options here. And I
1: also think a lot of those things are so weird, specifically to make the quarterback hesitate what he's reading. Yeah. So you can't just, like, a lot of guys you know. All right, this is an unideal situation, but at least I know what's happening. Right. right. I just need to buy enough time to be able to get the ball where it needs to go. W- against this defensive front, you've got to check that he's not doing something insane like an inverted cover three. Right. And actually everyone's swapping positions. Right. Um, yeah, I mean,
0: so that's why I looked at Dak. I, I tweeted out he's having a gritty game. It gritty. Did, uh, yeah, gritty. I purposely used gritty. It did feel like a game where Dak loses Amari Cooper. I mean, he's got, like, Tavon Austin, our old friend Cedric Wilson. I mean, these, he had Tavon Austin running, like, outside wide receiver routes. Yeah. Which is what, like... Michael was, Gallup, for some reason, dropping everything. Dropping. his way. But Dak also, the, the same thing we said about Baker. Like, these are inaccurate drops, right? He's throwing the ball higher than it should be, yeah. but they should be caught type of thing. Um, um So Dak just kind of, like, battled his way through. He's got Jason Witten, who is, like, moving like me right now. <laughs> trying to adjust to off target passes and stuff it's just bad so i don't know it just didn't feel like a comfortable game for dak and it's almost the same description i think we used on this you know for the eagles offense and all that stuff like he made just like a whole bunch of throws but it was like disjointed in the flow of the game which is why they had to attempt a whole bunch of field goals and didn't score a touchdown until the very end yeah it i mean that
1: offense didn't look good again it would have made it would have been made to look a lot better if Michael Gallup had caught the three passes that hit him in the hands. Um, that was a big part of it. And then – so the Sam Sam Darnold definitely did make a difference to this offense. But it was more sort of you went from completely horrendous, unviable to, all right, now there's something to work with. No, he was it's not good. like he was amazing. No, he was good. Um, he had two – Delivered had- that one bomb, the 92-yard pass that kind of changed – pretty firmly – Changed the complexion of how that game was going to go. Yeah. Because suddenly now Dallas were in a hole, not
0: just, oh, look, this is a game. Um, that was also one of those fun throws. It's like the quality of the throw, depending on where you get it, leads to 40 yards or it leads to 50 yards. Or in this case, it led to 90 plus because he just happened to throw it from the end zone. And, you know, receiver does the rest of the work there. But it was a, that was an excellent throw. He did a really nice job finding those deep crossers. There was a lot of open crossing routes behind Cowboys linebackers. And Darnold did a nice job finding those. And I thought it was just nice, from the Jets standpoint, it was a nice combination of quick game, a whole bunch of quick game, get the ball out of Darnold's hands, and then when they did work play action, he did a nice job finding those crossing routes. I also liked in the fourth quarter, they didn't get too conservative. He hit a few back shoulder throws and deep outs that kind of kept the chains moving and kept the pressure on Dallas. Um, they had There was a point where they could have gotten too conservative, and they didn't. I thought they did a nice job with it that. There was a point in this game where I thought genuinely that the cowboys were going to execute
1: a game winning drive purely through pass interference. Oh that was it, it was, was like flags every on both sides play.
0: of the, uh, of the uh, on both teams, right? I honestly thought for a
1: moment they were going to get the entire way to the end zone based off pass interference. Um two of maybe the two best players on the field in this game were both jet safeties, Jamal Adams and Marcus May, both made a ton of yeah. plays.
0: Yeah, May almost so that was of Dak played a pretty clean game, but he almost threw a, what essentially would have been a game-ending interception, made, uh, made a diving pass breakup that probably should have been a pick. Yeah, they both played really well.
1: Um, two, obviously, very different roles given how Greg Williams deploys the safeties,
0: but they both made a, a lot of plays that impacted this game. Yeah. yeah, so I think this is what the Jets... This is similar to what the Jets looked like. I mean, a team that I think coming into the year, they were going to be at the bottom end of NFL teams, but if Sam Darnold took a step forward as we expected we did like him coming out then they were going to be a, a feisty difficult team to, pl- to play every week
1: but I think overall this game says more about Dallas than it does
0: about the Jets so which do we, Dallas really don't look to be as good as they were the first couple of weeks did we completely overrate them and we tried to separate results from process I enjoyed their process we thought that Kellen Moore was coming out pushing all the right buttons and putting everybody in the right position to succeed and he's getting the most out of Dak and Dak's on his way to his best season he's regressed back a little bit the offense has regressed a little bit and then the defense is defense you know it's it's hit or miss week to week that's what defense does you know (laughs) so we were calling them Super Bowl contenders after they beat the Dolphins Giants and Redskins was it just because they played the Dolphins Giants and Redskins I think it may have been
1: they don't look to be Super Bowl contenders
0: right now. now Since then, it's been Saints, a big Saints Packers, of, and Jets.
1: I honestly don't know that there is a single bigger loss for a team outside of quarterbacks than Tyron Smith going down. Um, and that's been the case for them. That's a, It's just such a body blow to this offense. They right. can't function the same way. Now they had um, him and Lyle Collins go down. So any team that loses both their starting tackles right. is going to have problems, particularly when they were good to begin with. Um,
0: and they are really good, so... That's part of it. All that said, to Greg Williams never really has the best edge rushers anyway, so it wasn't like they were going to be completely challenged other than – No, the, the I'm not saying that necessarily
1: pressure. affected this yeah. game a huge amount, but it definitely affected some of
0: the other ones. Yeah, the only – Dak was sacked once, I believe, and we charged it to him. It was mostly on him uh, not maneuvering the pocket properly. So, yeah, there was just yeah,
1: – something's missing in that Dallas offense right now. Well, I think their defense hasn't been as good either. Leighton Vander Esch has had some of his worst games – um, of his career the past couple of games jalen smith hasn't made the same impact you know the the defense for dallas was supposed to be phenomenal and it's been reasonable but it hasn't been shut down the way it was the last few weeks yeah, Again, like said, they were having, competition right what if you've gone from facing some of the worst offenses in the nfl right
0: to some of the better ones they were having trouble <clears throat> um even um sean lee when he was out there for his 35 snaps letting guys get behind them in uh in some of their zones and then of course the robbie anderson play i mean you give up 90 plus yards then uh it's not good all right let's wrap it up sunday night football i think everybody did we all take the chargers uh almost certainly okay chargers look terrible and you know early on the steelers get the philip rivers backwards lateral stupid play that was coming as well that wasn't even the first one of those where he did something pretty uh risky Backwards lateral, essentially, and then he had an, a a bit unlucky batted pass, pick six. So before you know it, it's fourteen nothing Steelers. Yeah, and then so this wasn't one of those games like, hey, Devlin Hodges, man, like let's Duck. let's ride him, Duck, right? Just unbelievable. The whole thing It feels like we didn't need to call him Duck the whole game. Maybe not. Like you know, establish
1: that that's his nickname. You know, then it's Devlin. Very good. Then it's, or Devlin. Hodges. Just call him. You know. Not duck the whole game. Come on.
0: They did they played the classic let's protect the rookie game, you know, fifteen of twenty for one thirty two. He had a bad pick in there, but they tried did their best to protect him. I think it's a lot like the Mason Rudolph stuff. Like I don't think you're gonna win a ton of games just kind of hiding him.
1: Yeah, not unless you're going against the Chargers.
0: But the uh, uh Chris, the boss Chris and everybody talked about what they did at the line of scrimmage and they, they ran the ball. Look, when they needed four, they picked up four. When they needed five, they picked up five. Like That was like the story of the game for the Steelers. They got what they needed, ground out the running game, and sat on that lead, and it worked.
1: They did. Yeah, I mean, they got got given the boost uh, to begin the game, and then the Chargers basically didn't have enough to ensure they ever needed the quarterback again. You know, like the whole game was designed around, all right, let's exploit what we've been given, and now let's just protect the lead and duck and manage the crap out of the game the same way Joe Flacco did. Now, that would have, been, have become a problem if the Chargers were able to execute enough of a comeback that they needed the quarterback to do more, but that just never
0: became a factor. The Steelers' defensive front really did a nice job against it really did, yeah. a bad Chargers' line. This is what we said. If they were coming into the game, it's like, all right, TJ Watt and a rejuvenated Bud Dupree and those big guys up front, it and Hayward and whoever – and that's despite Tuitt nice
1: going down. Like when, yeah. when it goes down, yeah, only play like Tyson Alualu is able to come in and do well. You know that you're, you know, exploiting the offensive line of the opposition. Not great. He's typically not a player that's going to do tremendously well, but he comes he comes in and dominates the same way now you know you're winning tj watt is continues to look like one of the better young edge rushers in the nfl yeah bud dupree's legitimately playing
0: well this was a rare bud dupree game he didn't have a, a cheap cleanup sack and a bad grade he had a good grade and five pressures and yeah. no sacks it's the reverse of a bud dupree game the he opposite. actually played better than yeah. the statistics he was coming off two straight games of having just two sacks
1: yeah that's and nothing else right
0: so yeah i think the steelers steelers defense tends to be confusing again they they take advantage of, of lesser teams, and I think this kind of probably just summed it up, right? Their yep. pass rush took advantage of a good matchup, really nice job by Pittsburgh. Yeah, it was. I mean, this was this was a game that
1: they shouldn't have won, given what they were facing, and <laughs> starts to just eke them
0: away from you know, one of the better draft picks in the NFL at the end of the season. Man, Rivers just ma- it looks like everything is so difficult for him. Like, he's just got—like, his velocity's down, right? I know he's always looked funky throwing the ball. I just don't think the ball's coming out of I mean, his hand good I, at all. So
1: I think all of the quarterbacks in that draft class are have reached the point where they are starting to physically decline in some way, shape, or other, right? Yeah. So that's Eli, Big Ben, and Phillip Rivers. Now, Ben's hurt. He's just had elbow surgery. Eli's been benched. Um, and Rivers is the one guy where it's like, well, there's no succession plan, presuming it's not Tyra Taylor. Um, there's no there's nothing around you. We're not making your life easier because you're getting old and not able to do what you used to do. He's just expected to do exactly what he's always done. Only he's starting to become slightly physically less capable of doing that. And consequently, we're starting to see the bad things in his game get magnified and he's not quite able to do as many of the good things to bail himself out of it. So, you know, we've seen a couple of bad rivers games back to back. Um, They came, uh, those came off the back of a really good game, but that was against Miami. Right. So, yeah, I think we're starting to see Philip Rivers, I don't, you know, declining can be a long thing, right? You can start to decline and still have several years worth of good play. You can also start to decline like Tom Brady and somehow reverse it with like magic avocado juice. But I, I think we're starting to see the beginning of the end for Philip Rivers and the Chargers don't have enough around him yet
0: to be able to stave that off. Yeah. I mean, it's it's weird because last year was such a rejuvenation for him. And... Yeah, it's just been
1: inconsistent to this point. But at some point consistently feeling a bottom five offensive line
0: yeah, always is
1: just it, it's too
0: much. Nice having Hunter Henry back though. Yeah. Eight catches, hundred yards, two touchdowns. Mike Williams caught some big passes. It's it is one of those offenses on paper. If you have Hunter Henry in the middle of the field, you got Mike Williams, you got Keenan Allen, you got Eckler coming out of the backfield, it's like you should be able to move the ball. There's still weaponry there. Yeah. But that offensive line is an issue. Can we use the same analysis on Philip Rivers that we used on Kirk Cousins? Uh, if he should, which is... You know, we've had a couple, a couple of rough ones in there. Like We should expect better play. Like He'll bounce back from this. Yeah, I mean, he's better than this. Outside of the Miami game, he's been well below average yeah. this year. He should be he's better He's not than a below he, yeah. average quarterback. He
1: should be better than the past couple of weeks.
0: I just don't want to fall into this trap of just be, like When Kirk Cousins struggles, nobody's like, oh, it's because of age. Right. Because quarterbacks just have some struggles. And if a guy happens to be old... We all want to be the guy, Sam, that's like, well, this is the point where this guy's done. I want to make sure that you know that I know, that I'm calling it, when it's like, eh, sometimes quarterbacks just struggle, young and old, Okay, and Philip Rivers will bounce back. All right. Charges will be back. Seems fair. All right, guys. That'll do it. Another Marathon Monday for yeah. us. Reviewing week six. We'll be back here on Wednesday on YouTube, talking about some of the You know, your little mailbag stuff and the Stevenson Award. And then, of course, Thursday, if you guys are listening to another podcast, we'll be previewing. Yeah. Send us
1: questions. Podcasts at PFF.com.
0: Yeah. Get to propercloth.com. PFF 20, $20 off your first shirt. You can look as good as Sam in that custom-made shirt. All right, guys. Talk to you later.